Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 102, The King's Prize, featuring Alicia Kingston. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts. And yes, we do have another, another one of your hosts <laughs> today. <laughs> Ugh, our friend, Alicia. Hello, Alicia. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Oh, greetings and salutations, my ladies. Thank you for having me on. It has been quite some time since since we've really been able to plan this and, and bring it all together. But we're finally here and I'm very happy to be here. Yes, it has been some time. I've been waiting and I was like really excited when you said that Asha was one of your one of your favorite POVs. I was like, ooh, that one's coming up soon. But I couldn't tell you yet. <laughs> because Secrets. it's a secret it's a secret yes our pov order is very secret we have some friends that like to guess at what it is and try to uh make some speculative guesses at what's next and we just won't tell them you know we might tell you later we like you but we'll see, see, we'll see. That, that sounds like there's plans within plans of brewing and and i like that i like that well you all might know alicia from her youtube channel we'll Get a link in the description, of course, over for the Lord Commander AK. And you might know Alicia from Monero Geek TV's channel, a bunch of different YouTube channels. My main one right now is Lovecraft Country. I used to do live reactions for Game of Thrones, and I thought about doing that for Lovecraft Country as well, but there's slow spots sometimes in those episodes, so doing it live I don't think would work that well. So I did record myself this last time doing it, I just gotta figure out editing. I've just very, very recently started editing uh, videos, so I, I'm, I'm slow going at it, but I will be having um, a couple of reactions come up for that fairly soon. I had one tinfoil thoughts video about Chrysillium and Ruby, two technically three characters from the show. And my next one that I'm working on is about Uncle George and uh, the godly uh, likes, the god mm. the godlike lights that are um, put on his character. I think there's three different gods that are referenced with him, hmm. but we'll see. And I'm really only doing that because in my heart of tinfoil hearts, I'm really hoping he he's, you know, spoilers if you haven't watched the show. I'm hoping he's not actually dead, and he comes mm. back. Interesting. So, it, so it, it makes me think, just because of the, the clues mm. I've seen, it makes me think he's going to be resurrected somehow. So that that's basically it. At some point, I think, um, Monero's... So we're going to get together at some point and do some discussions about it. If you guys are watching the show, ladies, you're welcome to join us. We can work something out. Just let me know. Chloe, are you watching? I haven't started yet, because... It sounds scary. <laughs> it's, it sounds well, well, like a scary I show. The first episode, I'm personally like, I'm not, I'm at this point where the stars haven't aligned for new things right now. I'm actually, if you are on the Discord with us, on the Girls Gone Canon Discord, our patrons that are in the Thunder tier and above have been enjoying some fascinating chatter with us there, mostly about food. And yes, Mary of House Richmond, I'm coming with those cabbage rolls. I promise. I'm oh going to email God, them to you. I swear. The you know, if I keep saying I'm going to email her, maybe she yeah, won't be true. mad. I promise I'll do it, Mary. I'm sorry. Anyways, I digress. We're doing lots of food talk, and people have talked a little bit about Lovecraft Country there. I've watched the first episode, and I really hope that, I mean, 
Uncle George has to be alive because it's Courtney B. Vance, right? That's like, what I said. It's like, how, how did you get Courtney B. Vance and he's only there for two episodes? I mean, that, they that's, let that's, him marry Angela Bassett. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. That, that, that's Mr. Angela Bassett. You don't do that. Uh-uh. You get me. I'm you like, can't. You don't just marry Angela Bassett like that and only be in two episodes of Lovecraft Country. So I don't know. I feel like he's got to have some sort of contract, but I've only seen the first episode. I want to read the book. That's yeah, I, I, my, my next venture once the season is over, so I don't like spoil myself. Yes, is to listen to the audiobook. But also shout out to Courtney B. Vance because mm-hmm. this man was there for two episodes and he made the whole damn realm care about this character. Yeah, after just yeah. two episodes, like that, that, that is not an easy thing to do. The man makes it a masterpiece. Absolutely. Indeed. You're selling this show to me. I mean, like, I was planning on watching it anyway, but waiting till everything comes out so that I can just, like, watch it all okay. day so that I can be less afraid. Um, what I will say have closure. is it, it is creepy. It is creepy. But beyond that, because of, it, honestly, it's set in the 50s, but everything that they're going through is so tied into where society is in our real world right now. And then you spin that with the horror genre Mm -hmm. and it makes for a very, very interesting dynamic. It's a bit gory in some parts, especially last week's episode, but it's still worth it to go through. And like I said, there are some very, very creepy moments and some things will come up and you'll, you know, you'll hear that, that music start and you'll basically just say, nope, 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 don't do that. You're hoping that the characters will hear you, but they never listen. There's a few, there's going to be some of those moments, but I think all together you will enjoy it. And also, shout out to Lady Smollett, Journey, because she is doing the damn thing with, uh, you know, Letitia fucking yeah. Lewis. She is handling that. She, she is basically right now, if you watch Watchmen, the performance that Regina King gave in Watchmen, it to me is very much mirrored with how Journey is playing her character on Lovecraft um, yeah. Country. Mm. It, it's it's very good, and you know, it watched first episode. It will tie you in. It's somewhat of an anthology because they hit different horror markers through different episodes, but the story is all tied together, and it's tied okay. together very well. You know, it's from the minds of Misha Green, Jordan Peele, and J.J. Abrams. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so it's so the, the writing is on point. Some folks have issues with modern music being in there. I think for the vibe that they want some scenes to have, you kind of have to put modern music in because it, the 50s didn't always just give off that extra vibe that you need. So yeah. I don't mind the music. I think it all still ties in. I think it's great. I love pretty much everything about the show. Wow. So this yeah, is like go the watch. most glowing like uh, a recommendation that I've heard of the show so far. I mean, I've heard people say positive things, but now you're like making me want to pick it up immediately. But Oh, I can give you specifics. <laughs> if, you, if you want specifics, we, we, we can set up a PowerPoint presentation right now. Ten reasons, <laughs> reasons why you should, you should watch should Lovecraft. Start. <laughs> start immediately. Immediately. <laughs> Well, now that we have the glowing review, we have to cancel the podcast and we all need to go get on to our streaming devices and start watching Lovecraft Country. No, I'm just kidding. We still have to do the podcast. Seriously, HBO should pay me for that advertisement. (laughs) They should. 
they will be backing up your dumpster of gold as soon as they back up our dumpster of gold for season eight of Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? So I'm just oh, waiting for my money. If only it were so simple. Uh, <laughs> for my favorite season of Game of Thrones. I know I'm cracking you all up. Tisk tisk. Oh my god, she's gonna do it every. She's really gonna do it every episode, and I'm proud of it. I'm proud I will of make it. that joke every episode. Alicia was also on recently with Joe Magician. We talked about it during our Ario Hota episodes, covering Ario Hota with Joe Magician. Yes, that was such fun conversation. Really, really fun conversation. And like I was telling the ladies here earlier, a lot more interesting than I initially thought it could be. Ariel's one of those. Uh, Guys, where you don't expect a whole lot, but then you start digging, and there's mm-hmm. these layers that come up, and, and these mysteries and things that don't quite make sense if he's just a guard of the Prince of Dorne. It, it, it was good. That That's all I can say. It was good. Go, go watch that if you guys haven't seen it yet. Yes, we'll link that as well. Yeah, Arya Hoto is really interesting. Often overlooked, as we were saying, so... Ice and FireCon is where we usually are seeing each other annually, and that is a huge bummer. We all wish we were there at the the possible Ice and FireCons this year that have both been moved back, but that's usually where we get to hang out. Indeed, and, and it's always a fun time. Always a fun yeah. time, but then 2020 happened, so God. here we Talk are. Talk about the winds of winter, the winds of COVID. Ugh. Oh, oh, man. Goodness. I mean... Now we're gonna, what, re-enter probably our second winds of winter, literal winter, <laughs> yeah, with the pandemic the still ongoing, so, yeah. It is it gonna is. be a long night. Well, thankfully, we have a lot of book to get us through there, and, you know, if we are worrying about our winter, I cannot imagine how Asha Greyjoy must be feeling with her winter in the north right now. <laughs> winter? What, what are you talking about, winter? This is just autumn sweet kiss. <laughs> what? Listen, that is, a, that is a Michigan November, y'all. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm is just how kidding. you feel about it. I, I'm just also, kidding. With global warming, it's not. like it, It's really like maybe a January, a Michigan January with global warming shit. Oh All right. See, that's, that's what I was going to say. I, I'm in Ohio now, but I grew up mostly in New York. And okay. you know what the weather is like uh, in, in New York. When it's winter, it's winter. Yeah, you know, there, there's there's my- none of this. It's 85 one day and then raining and then snowing the next day. So I can, I, I know the cold. <laughs> you know when saying. it makes your face hurt. Like, you know <laughs> that feeling. I don't know that feeling. Oh, my sweet summer child. Sweet summer I child. Am, I mm, am a sweet summer thing. child. Alicia is dealing you. with Ohio. I grew up in Michigan and my partner grew up in Buffalo. So oh, you oh, can do yeah. the math really there. We are what the, what the winter is. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Real winter, real winter. And my All parents actually co- live in northern, so in northern Michigan on a lake area. So they mm-hmm. they get the snow, but there's not as much anymore. You know, it's kind of crazy. This has been great. I'm so excited in general to have Alicia on, but we have to talk about what we missed between the last episode, the last chapter, and now in our lightning round. And our lightning round is going to be weird today everyone. It's going to be a little weird. It is going to be a little limited. It's going to be just a few different chapters, actually. It's going to be three different people. Just kidding. It's the same person. It's Reek, the Prince of Winterfell, and the Turncloak. Uh, But I wanted to skip all the stuff in between just because there really wasn't anything that really mattered for Asha in between the last chapter, Wayward Bride, and the King's Prize. So we're going to get into a lightning round. 
we start with Reek III. Reek serves both his lords of Bolton loyally, but the son and the father have begun to fight about wedding arrangements, among other things. Bruce takes Reek on a field trip to Barrowton, where he gives Theon a whole lot of exposition about why his son is crazy. The Prince of Winterfell. Reek steps in as the man of honor in Argus Stark's wedding, which takes place in the Godswood, with equal embarrassment before, during, and after for all. Wow, that's a a real euphemism. That leads us to the Turncloak. Bard and his wenches come to spring John's sister from the clutches of the evil Ramsay Bolton and befriend the serving man, Reek, in their plans. And now we've arrived to the king's prize. Asha finds herself riding as one of Stannis' prized captives in the march to Winterfell, but as the cold winds rise, they begin to lose men, horses, provisions, and the word sacrifice is on everyone's lips. Burn her! (laughs) Uh, even more so next chapter sneaking up but starting us all off before we get into all of that I want to take a moment enjoy smell the flowers while they're still here and not completely frosted and just really really appreciate George's imagery at the beginning because I think that it does a great job of opening the chapter especially in contrast to how the whole chapter closes we have these quotes from literally the beginning. The king's host departed Deepwood Mott by the light of a golden dawn, uncoiling from behind the log palisades like a long steel serpent emerging from its nest. The southern knights rode out in plate and mail, dinted and scarred by the battles they had fought, but still bright enough to glitter when they caught the rising sun. Faded and stained, torn and mended, their banners and surcoats still made a riot of colors amidst the winter wood. Azure and orange, red and green, purple and blue and gold, glimmering against bare brown trunks. Gray-green pines and sentinels, drifts of dirty snow. Something very interesting about the way that we open this is that we are looking at the southern nights right and all of these colors like you said azure orange red green purple blue gold you know what all those colors remind me of a rainbow kind of like that brother that stan kind of like that brother You're that stan is <sighs> i was going to say stanley yes kind of like <laughs> Wait, that wait. That's a ship? Um Word? so yes, and also there's something about pegging that gets brought up whenever anyone says Stanley, and I'm not sure how it came about. It came about during the Nauticast podcast live streams. And uh yeah, whenever anyone says Stanley, the immediate response is pegging. So keep up, I guess. Uh if you want to. Okay. I digress. <laughs> These colors feel similar to Renly to Stannis' brother that he claims to so despise and all of his methods he so despises, it reminds me of Renly's Rainbow Guard. We have a line from A Clash of Kings. Stannis turned back to his wife. My brother is young and strong, and he has a vast host around him and these rainbow knights of his. He hates his brother for treason, but yet his very own Kingsguard, though he doesn't call them that, they have definitely appointed themselves as such, is a rainbow guard. We have the blue and orange of the Florence, the gray and white of Horp, Godfrey Faring's purple, Massey's green, blue, and red and white, Suggs in his pink and red, Buckler is blue, Patrick, of course, has the blue and silver Dallas Cowboys logo, uh, Grandison is yellow, Follard is white and red. Uh, we have a rainbow. 
Stannis is just like all the other lords in the end of the day. I was just thinking about Renly's peach. <laughs> just because it, 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 as soon as you said Rainbow Guard, it's like, yeah, Stannis really is still going to be thinking about that damn peach. Mm-hmm. I think he is. Now he has a Rainbow Guard. I do think it haunts him. Like, you know, later on in the chapter, we're going to see him thinking intently about things. And I think that's a great point. Like, he could still be thinking about Redley's peach at that point. And how could he not, right? A lot of these people were mm-hmm. Redley's men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like... He's, he's, you know, c- confronted with, and I think I said it in our notes um, l- later on down, but it's prevalent here too. He's still that middle child. Yeah. He still has that middle child syndrome. You know, he wasn't just in Robert's shadow. He was arguably yeah. to me in Renly's shadow as well. They both were much more well-liked than him, but Renly said it best. You didn't want any friends brother so you you reap what you sow this is how you set it up so now you have to go to other people's men to build your mm-hmm. own army because you were never good at really building your own and speaking of reaping what we sow we see all this through a pov that does not sow right mm. does not reap mm. and does not sow from asha and she is of course a prisoner in this column the main column is following with mules and oxen and carts and fodder, and the rear guard protects it all. They're traveling 300 miles from Winterfell to Deepwood Mott. So that's what, like, you can go, what, 70, 80 miles in an hour? It's like a six-hour drive, maybe two gas breaks at most if you got to pee. Eh, eh, eh. So for Winterfell, it's going to be 15 days. That's what they decide from Deepwood to Winterfell. It should be 15 days, and they're covered in shackles. They're being watched over by the snoring Alisane Mormont. Asha was meant to be a prize. She is to be displayed in chains to the northern lords to prove Stannis's power. But, of course, she's hearing the knight's gossip in the back. She hears Lord Fell say Robert would have made this march in 10 days. Which, Eliana, if you remember, this is one of those lords that bent the knee to Robert during the rebellion. That I always talk about. Eh? Oh, that, yeah, that rebellion. Yep, that I've one that you it. never... And then made friends. Mm-hmm. I've heard about it. Th- this history. Allegedly. Uh, <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Justin Massey says that, well, make sure you don't mention that to Stannis. And Asha, as, as you were saying, Alicia, notices that Stannis is still very much living in his brother's shadow, but I think, mm-hmm. as you said, it's a great point that it's both his brother's shadows. And it's a, it's also interesting of an observation coming from Asha because, you know, she was always her father's favorite because, I guess, her brother's side, so maybe not always. But she was her father's favorite afterwards, and the only child left and therefore didn't have to live in anyone's shadow, unlike Theon when he shows up later on. Uh, and I do want to kind of push back, though, on Lord Fell's assessment of Robert at the time of saying this in the present day of dance, because I feel like Robert maybe, okay, maybe he could have done it in 10 days uh, because he just loved fighting so much. And he was all like, Ned, what if we just like left and just fought all the time? Uh, or he could have done it back in the day during this alleged rebellion. But based on what we see of how Robert is during the present story and like how long the train going to Winterfell at the beginning of the books took. I I just don't know that he could have made it in in 10 days like Lord <laughs> Fell thinks. Like he, I think that he would have moved at the same pace that Renly's camp, 
you know, speaking of the other brother, like, was moving down in the south, right? Like, they were taking their sweet time. And many of those are, again, the same soldiers who are here now. Robert was also an attention whore, just like Brinley. So all that stopping to have a party or have a mini tourney on the way to play at war, you know, to, to curry friendships or favors or whatever, Robert would have been doing the exact same thing as Renly. And he, he might have been keeping a bit of time, yes, but there still would have been delays. And then you have to also take into account the weather, which which I think we'll get into a little bit uh, later on down. Yeah, and it's yeah. very obvious that Lord Fell is one of those guys who, and first of all, he's not the guy Robert brought up, right? Like, his grandfather is, so he's living in this myth mm-hmm. of, my grandfather always said that King Robert brought him up from his knees, and you know, that kind of thing. And it's the good times. It's this guy that's just like, oh, back in the good old days when King Robert was ruling. But in reality, mm-hmm. in, in retrospect, looking back, they finally got rid of the monster, king Ares, right you get king Ares the second finally off the throne you get the monster out and they bring in someone who is absolutely mediocre who's going to induce no change is going to fall on acedia and change nothing about westeros you know and then they you what you praise them for doing it this guy is falling back on the good times of nothing but mediocrity something that i'm sure us in america understand way too way too well no no he he did make some changes. I mean, one one really big change is the coffers of the realm are not full anymore. <laughs> and there's probably a few a few different types of wine that were probably made and named in his honor that True. we may not have heard of. My God! Oh, good. Some coping uh, mechanisms. Some capitalist coping mechanisms. Yeah. You know, more more small folk were added to because Robert graced the women with his seed. You know, he did a few things. Wait, did Absolutely. those kids get murdered? Oh. Fuck them, kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, well, I tried. Though. I tried. Uh, I think we got I mean, a little a few, meta. A few, a few of them survived. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some sprinkled in there still somewhere. Uh, who's to say? Truly, who's to say? <laughs> uh, anyways, oh, let's pull out of the meta for a second. None of that was wow. in relation to real life or anything. Uh, no, not at all. <clears throat> So Asha broke her ankle during all of this. Like, nothing worse could have happened. A broken ankle does not sound like what I would want during this. The fetters that she has on her wrists are chafing her, and we get this little passage. No man has ever died from bending his knee, her father had once told her. He who kneels may rise again, blade in hand. He who will not kneel stays dead, stiff legs and all. Balin Greyjoy had proved the truth of his own words when his first rebellion failed. The Kraken bent the knee to Stag and Direwolf, only to rise again when Robert Baratheon and Eddard Stark were dead. Asha, of course, in turn, had bent the knee to Stannis, asking for the lives of her nine ragged men, left, that's what Krom, one of those ragged men, called them. And she thinks, even though Stannis gave her their lives, she sensed no mercy in him. Mm. Yeah, first of all, fuck Balon. <laughs> His philosophies were always dumb and ridiculous. And, you know, he, I guess he was slightly right, you know, when you bend the knee, you can come back up again with blade in hand and whatnot. But, sir, you did come back up with blade in hand, and look, look at your people now. Yeah. Where are you at? You're dead. 
Where's your son at? He might as well be dead. Where's your daughter? She's in prison. His ideologies sound great when he says them, but it doesn't feel like he's stuck to one. He stuck to it when he suited them. And it's kind of like how we see Littlefinger's opportunistic. Balin was also opportunistic. He just wasn't fast enough. And her culture has never been fast enough politically. You know what I mean? Like, they just haven't Mm -hmm. caught on to it because they don't want to trade their pride for that. And he was so close to getting it. And then so far, it's like, commit. You could have gotten there, Balin. Yeah, they're too stuck in in that the old way. You have to pay the iron price. (laughs) Dude, try to find some place to plant some crops sell something you know get some type of trade actual trade going on you you guys are the ironborn are always mad that people don't accept them or don't like them well look at look at the shit you do (laughs) yeah no no one's gonna want to deal with that forever nasha's starting to like realize that but i something that you said i thought was interesting in terms of like balon it sounds good when he says it but then you're like all of this is like ridiculous bullshit it's kind of like in some ways he's kind of like the opposite of stannis right like he stannis is terrible at delivery stannis is very uncharismatic and has no idea how to inspire people really mm-hmm. but there's depth there behind his uh, ideas and his policies especially later on in the books it always seems to fit that it's a more, you know, d- do what I say, not what I do. Like, yeah, just pay attention to the true. words coming out of my mouth. Don't worry about what I'm doing over here. You go where I told you to go. Yeah. Yeah. I also had an image of a an, an actual, like, kraken, like an actual little squid uh, holding a sword. And that was important for me is to it, relay. Is it wrong that all I pictured there was Squidward? holding a sword. Oh my god, they need to make that! <laughs> oh my god, Squidward has equipped the sword of podcasting, plus ten defense. Oh my god. I've been thinking we'll about Squidward her. a lot lately. I'm worried. You know what? I don't even want to know why. Uh, I don't, Let's just I think smooth Spongebob right on past yeah. that. Sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Alicia is skeptical of why I think about any sort of fictional character now. Uh, that's that's a story for a different time, everyone. Uh, for now, the story here is a song of ice and fire. It's we see that Stannis has, as as you all know, as Asha. No, 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 no. You you don't get to skirt over the fact that you just said for now. <laughs> oh man! Uh, what, what do you mean? You want me to say to relate no, now? I just- I just wanted to let the realm know. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> In case they missed it. You know, we're gonna, this is me bending the knee right now, you know, and I'm kneeling <laughs> so that I can come back again with a blade in hand in this podcast. Just like oh, Squidward, boy. maybe. That. Um, and now that imagery's in my head. Moving along. <laughs> Stannis, Stannis, coming back to, to a different animal, a deer, a stag, as opposed to a squid. Uh, we see that he's kind of learned the value of sparing people's lives, and I... It, Talking about another squid again, Asha. I love this moment with her uh, because, you know, she's she's talking about the moment of her pleading for her men's life and that she kind of, she's offering everything she can. She's like, do what you will with me. She's not even just offering her life. She's laying it all on the line in that moment to barter for the, her crew to stay alive, for those people who follow her. And it's one of those ways that I feel like 
We see Asha show really great leadership. We saw a lot of that thought process in the previous chapter where she keeps thinking about history and going over her options and these internal debates. Because the thing that's most important to her is how is she going to get her men out of this? Because she uh, exhibits a really, really deep responsibility for what happens to them. And I think that we see that uh, in another character as well. And it kind of reminds me of Ned Stark, right? Uh, and him mm -hmm. thinking of and feeling great grief when he sees that the men who have followed him have uh, been hurt or killed and and just Jory. feeling responsible for them. Oh. Jory! They yeah. all think about uh, Jory? Justice for Jory. Uh, uh, justice for Jory. Look, girls want to get real wet about Jamie Lannister till you say Whoa. Jory. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, oh, they want to be real about Jamie and his blonde locks until you remind them about Jory dead in the streets of Miami. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Miami? <sighs> Listen, King's Landing, Miami, they're both shitholes, all right? There, there's a lot of Stark and Asha in this chapter. Surprisingly so. It's not the North. It is, though, right? Like, the Ironborn have, as we're probably going to entail this episode, they have a certain belonging with the North. They have been a part of the North before. They have since not just uh, been separate from them, but also, like, developed their own culture off of what mm -hmm. the North kind of had going. I think Asha is... Well, I, we didn't get to know the other uh, sons that Balon had, but they clearly weren't that great fighters because they both died in, in a rebellion. But, you know, Asha, compared to Theon, seems to have a better sense of, one, how to properly read the room and read people <laughs> and assess them for how she needs to act in relation to them to to try mm -hmm. to get what what she wants or and at the very least she's respectful when it when it comes to her people she's trying to get these guys free yeah she knows the, the, the iron islands aren't you know that great but that's her home and she loves it and she wants to make sure that her people are safe and she takes that responsibility onto her and honestly at I question where she learned it from because Balon, to me, just never seemed to have that true sense of ownership and love and care for his people. He he was he seemed like a very self centered guy to me. It just seems to me that Asha has a greater understanding of what is you know wrong with the interactions between Ironborn and Mainland. And she knows that she needs to act and speak accordingly to try to change that stigma. She just isn't in a very good position to do it right now. Especially not now, right? After the queen's move yeah. gone wrong. And I would add that, like, Balin, we can shit on him all day long because he was shitty in most ways. However, Doran has kind of the same relationship with Arianne, right? Like, he still technically prepared her to be heir. Ish, even though she kind of lived with that subconscious thought of like, I'm not the heir. <sighs> and Asha grew up with that same thought as we've discussed that like, I am the heiress, I am going to take the Iron Islands and I am going to do better. Mm -hmm. And it's all that punching up, right? That anger and like, I can relate that maybe your parents aren't always the best. Sometimes your parents don't try. Sometimes parents try. Uh, all parents come in different shapes, sizes, attitudes, efforts, uh, dignity, etc. Like, I mean, like, th none of them are the same, as we know. And Balin, yes, was semi shitty, 
but he raised her in a way to think that she would be the next person in line for these islands. Her mother raised her to be bold as she remembers. My mom is the same kind of way. You know, I don't always agree with my parents ever, but my parents raised me in a way that I kind of know some moral quandaries, yes or no, right or left. And I think Asha has that. And it's something about that next generation magic, right? Like Ned had his shortcomings and John and Sansa and Arya and Bran all have those lessons, but they're going to do better. And I think there's something so Northern and so stark about the way that Asha has taken this lesson and taken what Balin Mm. has taught her and somehow transmuted it into, listen, if we do our reaving and raiding and we take these Northern lands, we can hold them hostage and make them give us more land. Like we can do this thing and nobody wanted to back her, but she had these big ideas and uh, these innovative new ways, right? The new ways. And I think that's a lot of what it's about. It's about kind of transmuting these lessons Balin gave her, whether they were great lessons or whether they were just like mediocre. I think he did at least give her something to ponder, you know? Yeah. And, you know, regarding that question of where did Asha learn this? Yeah, I think very much from Balin. And I think at the very least, she really internalized at, at least a love of for her people from Balin, right? Like, clearly he had a vision of what he wanted for the Iron Islands. Uh, he wanted them to be, I think, a better a better one of the kingdoms than it was. It's just that, as uh, Chloe was saying, Asha had a different vision for what that looks like. And that happens regardless of whether it's good parenting or bad parenting or mediocre parenting, as you were saying. Like, Rob was groomed to rule, right? He was first in line. He was there all the time, just as Asha was likely groomed. And and Rob had his own ideas of how, what it takes to rule, what it would take to uh, to secure Northern victory. And Asha, as we see, uh, she was interested in research, right? She spent a lot of time with uh, Roger Carla, it seems, her favorite uncle, who was a big reader, probably did a lot of studying, and maybe came to her own conclusions of seeing like, hey, this works for other kingdoms. Maybe this is something that we can implement and, and bring to the Iron Islands. And this is something that's going to be great for our people and, and make it like our our culture really sustainable and i mean it's entirely possible she could have gotten that from some of her mother too we don't know we don't get that much about her other than that she was bold but you know she has one studious brother and another sister who's insistent upon her own rights so there's there's quite a few people in asha's life that she could have uh, gotten a lot of these different lessons from and gleaned it and especially you know balin's not a great leader uh, and especially not a great father to one of his kids, but he was a really, really excellent father to one kid. Just one of them. <laughs> well, because the rest died or got taken away. But, and I was going to say, he kind of had to be because he only had that one, so he, he had to make do. Yeah. I mean, other other parents were not great parents to their single child, you know? True. Uh, the, so moment, the moment Reese Bolton got only one kid, he was like, I hate this kid. <laughs> and he's talking shit about him to everyone. I mean, we oh, hate him too. Freaking Roos, man. I, I, and honestly, I, I, I almost don't want to blame Roos for 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 Domeric, but he did tell Domeric to stay the hell away from Ramsay, and Domeric didn't want to listen. Um, That's true. Alicia, you're pronouncing so, it incorrectly. It's Dumb Eric. I think is the correct way that you're looking to say it. It's Dumb <laughs> Eric. D U M B. Yup. Uh. <laughs> Bless his pretty little head. Uh, stupid pretty little head. The dumbest yeah. little pretty head. Yeah. Idiot. Stupid pretty little head, but from everything, that the, the little that we know of him, and I mean, I guess you can't always trust the word of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, what's her name? 
Dust, Lady Dustin. Barbary Dustin. But Barbary Dustin, yeah. But you know, she speaks highly of him, and th- there isn't a whole lot of ill ever said about Dominic. So I, it's I'm inclined to believe that he could possibly have been a better person. You know, one one of those forward thinking offspring that we have here, like Asha and Rob, trying to you know bring in a new, better way of things, so to speak. But yeah, it's really neither here nor there. Just a random thought on yeah. Dominic. Dumeric, what if we didn't skin people? <laughs> Interesting. Progressive. I wonder, would they would they actually like us? If we or didn't? Or at least respect us yeah. like they respect the Starks uh... if we didn't flay people? Maybe? <laughs> Asha has heard about Stannis' courage and determination, and of course Stannis is just nature, but she still doesn't like him. Same. Same. Or the fact he's dangling her in front of the Northerners to prove himself, which, knowing the Northern culture, she doesn't really think this will awe them. The joke is, of course, that Euron doesn't care if Asha lives or dies. Her husband could care-ish, because, you know, he wants a free place to live, and she has nowhere to go. But Stannis wouldn't understand that, nor would he have listened. She thinks that her very womanhood seemed to offend him. Yeah, see, and and, that, and that's the thing. That's what I was saying about Asha. She is a lot more skilled in reading people and their situations than Stannis is. Stannis is the one true king, yeah, I get it. However, Stannis does still have his flaws, and I think it would be ignorant to overlook those like some Stannis fans do. Yep. Asha can already tell that her being a prisoner right now is not working. You know, Stannis is talking about dangling her in front of the Northmen in change. There's Northmen riding with you right now. They're not impressed, my guy. How, how do you think getting to Winterfell and saying, look at this, is gonna make it any better? <laughs> it's not. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering is, like, does it get better? Is that what they think? These people that think that things are going to go positively for Stannis? Like, this is Autumn's kiss, right? Exactly. Like, you, you're you not even prepared hmm. to deal with what the real weather is coming up with. And, like, my thought on that whole thing was he's not technically frustrated with Asha, but he does maybe deep down recognize that the, how he wants to use her is not working for the Northerners, and he's mad because he can't use her for anything else. He's all about everyone has use and everyone has their place in the world that I want to build. What am I going to do with this, this this chick that should have a dress on <laughs> and not armor and not be dual wielding axes in battle? How am I going to use her? You know, it, it, it and, and it goes beyond that because then that's a failure on him because here again is an obstacle that's been presented to him and he's not quite sure how to get past it and he might actually be a little bit um sexist in his thoughts but i feel like where where this is concerned it's messing with him on even more of a deeper level than he's really used to and he doesn't know how to handle that and we know when stannis gets stressed and gets in his head he just basically stands there and stares into the flames he he doesn't know what to do but he still has to give off this sense of confidence that he's the lord he's the one true king and he's here 
So don't worry that I'm not doing anything and I don't have any real plans and shit keeps going wrong. <laughs> um, no matter what yeah. I try to do, just respect me because I'm the one true king. If you got to keep saying you king, my guy, mm, mm. you you really ain't the king. These are all true Stannis thoughts. Absolutely. I, I don't have any complaints yeah. about the things that AK is saying. Mm-mm. Same. Loaded the trigger. Cocked it. I'm just mm. saying. No, it's all very true. Like, as you said, he's like, well, shit, I have this thing and I should know how to use it. And I, he's like, turns out Stannis, I mean, he struggles with this, right? He struggles with the politicking, knowing how to use the pieces, how to, how to wield power in such a way that he can uh, secure his hold on it. And, you know, as you said, he, he's trying to give off confidence, but I mean, maybe he's giving that outward look, right? As you said, and putting on that stoic face, but everything else that's going around right now, it does not inspire confidence. <laughs> Nobody it feels confident. It keeps going up in flames. Uh, yes, flames. And, and not ice, in the yeah. flames that he wants. No, not at all. Not like a single song. Later on, <laughs> the tent. Yeah. <sighs> It's interesting because Asha is the one remarking that he quite obviously has a disdain for women. Like, around Alisane, around Lady Glover, they bother him. It's very obvious. And there's only one woman who speaks his language, the soldiers are all saying, right? They're all whispering, like, Melisandre's back at the wall. That's his woman. Uh, and it's funny because well, yeah, she's wrong, too, you know? <laughs> I mean, when, 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 you, when, when you puff a guy up... Especially a guy oh, in the mindset that Stannis Ooh. is in, you know. Yeah. No, that's that, true. That, that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen. Again, classic middle child syndrome. He always feels slighted. He always feels in the shadows. And now here comes this chick from across the narrow sea saying, you have this great destiny. You're Azora High Reborn. Yeah, he's going to start listening to her because she is speaking all of the language that he has been wanting to hear his entire life. He matters. Oh. She's wrong, and neither <laughs> of them know that just yet. But for right now, this is what this is what it is. And that's what Ash is calling him on right here, right? She is straight up being yeah. like, oh, this is how I play all my men, too. And it makes me like, she's like a proficient Cersei. We talked about how in Deepwood Mott last chapter in The Wayward Bride, she is kind of at her own Blackwater, right? Like she can either die within those walls or be taking a prisoner outside by Stannis. And that's kind of how she views things. It's kind of a cynical view. But when you look at Cersei's view, Sometimes it's so cynical to a fault where she doesn't actually factor in realism, where Asha is factoring in realism. And uh, it, it's just so obvious that she's like, oh, this is this whole guy's number because she's so removed from the situation. She's such an outside look. And when you spoke about how, you know, she she seems to have uh, Eliana spoke about Asha's leadership qualities earlier. And this all reminds me to a couple chapters from A Clash of Kings, a little book I like to read once in a while, and The Sack of Winterfell in A Clash of Kings. So if we compare this to Bran's chapter or to Theon's, the Ironborn take Winterfell, and the Ironborn are actually victorious there. We have these lines from Bran and Theon. A good lord protects his people, he reminded himself. I've yielded Winterfell to Theon. Louder, Bran, call me prince. Interestingly enough, Stannis kind of reads as another second son, as we've been saying in that chapter, with a few issues to get through. 
Theon and Stannis read really similarly throughout all of this. I will be as good a lord to you as Eddard Stark ever was. Theon raised his voice to be heard above the smack of wood on flesh. Betray me, though, and you'll wish you hadn't, and don't think the men you see here are the whole of my power. He then says, If Rob Stark can stave off the Lannisters, he may reign as king of the Trident hereafter, but House Greyjoy holds the North now. Replace that with Baratheon, and it sounds a bit like Stannis. I think it holds true as a good parallel. Theon is just in this chapter. He punishes men for raping in the sack. He even ends up burning a child at the end of this plot to try to, you know, get him out of the hell he's in. Honestly, Theon's arc as a microcosm is probably what Stannis is going to experience, although a little darker, a little more prophetic, probably ending in death as well. We even have this line, There'll be no flaying in the north so long as I rule in Winterfell, Theon said loudly. I am your only protection against the likes of him, he wanted to scream. He could not be that blatant, but perhaps some were clever enough to take the lesson. That reads a little Stannisy to me. And of course, Asha is reading a bit like Bran here. Quite obviously, Asha has a different ruling style in mind compared to Stannis, and she sees that his rule is not the way to the North's heart. That's not how to win. Exactly. That is it exactly in a nutshell. I put in here, you know, I, I again found it interesting that Asha was able to read Northmen so, so well, much better than Stannis. And I think that proves like what you were saying earlier, that the Ironborn and the North do have those connections in their ways of life. You know, and one of the things Stannis finds frustrating is that he has to take Winterfell. He doesn't necessarily want to go and save anyone. But he knows he needs the North, and the North is not going to bend to him or give him any type of assistance unless you go and do this thing for them and you secure their lands first. And Stannis does not like being in anyone's (laughs) pocket. Mm -mm. He seriously feels like he's been that for many, many moons, and he is, again, the one true king. It's his by rights. You should be doing what I say just because I told you. I shouldn't have to go and do anything to curry favor with you. But he does. And he knows he has to. And he's not going to voice it. But I think we could see it in his actions is he is very upset that he has to do this. And it sucks, but that's, it is what it is. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's it's an upsetting situation, you know, being caught in these autumn kisses that for many feel... Like, uh, as they say, winter fucking them hard. And it hasn't yet, right? And Not even a little bit. <laughs> no, and, and I mean, like, he tried to see if he could get a slight shortcut, right? He's like, if I bring Jon Snow, everyone's gonna just be like, yeah, totally, let's do it, let's do it. And then Jon's like, I can't do that for you. I can't give you this shortcut because I have to be here. This is my place. So Stannis is like, fine, we'll do the long way. You know what? See, and, and, and this was another thing with Stannis that Again, it's do what I say, not what I do. Stannis is all about the rules. This is a man of the Night's Watch that's taken his vows. Yeah. You're literally talking to the Lord Commander, and you want him to just walk away from that so easily to help you. Bruh. Yeah. Yes. Really? Yes. Come on now, son. Come on now. I mean, in those John chapters alone, like, I 
before our John chapters, AK, I was on the fence, like not like on the fence about Stannis. I knew he was going to like be a dick eventually, burn his kid, give up everything because he sucks. You know what I mean? Like I knew he was going to break. That's the tragedy of Stannis Baratheon. Like mm-hmm. Stannis the Manus, he can be the Manus and be as just as he wants, but like he has to have that downfall, that tragedy. There's no way he lives or survives because what's the point of the story, right? And in yeah. a way, he has a lot of foreshadowing for kind of some Daenerys stuff in the story, as we've kind of discussed. But I don't know, something about seeing him through John's eyes made me go, oh, you're just about power, dude. All you care about is power, buddy. Mm-hmm. All you want is control, complete control. And it's something that I say as like, this is probably total like super green hippie bullshit, but like. What gives one person the right? What makes one person so much more special, so much different, like so much better than another person that they can control a human's life? What gives you that power? Like mm-hmm. what God gives you that power? What right? What By what right do you get to have control over someone's life? And what makes you more important than another person? You know, what? what right? I think that's something that Stannis is wrestling with within this chapter, right? It's something that Davos had made him pause upon and actually rethink it. It's taking him a little time to internalize that because as we see, he's still like, but what if we didn't follow the rules for me when he's at the wall? But he's doing that here, Mm -hmm. right? He's asking that question to an extent and saying, no, we don't have that right at this moment. And trying trying to get his men to also realize that and you know, they don't all get it, right? Because uh, a lot of his soldiers, what specifically Justin Massey, you know, they, they really believe, well, Justin Massey, not as much, but a lot of the other soldiers, they really believe in, in that red god, right? They're all like, I wish Melisandre was here mm-hmm. because they're, they say the last time we did this without her, it uh, went poorly, which actually now that you think about it, really kind of went against Stannis' plans because he's all like, no, we're going to secure victory and it's going to look amazing for me because if we win, then it's going to look like melisandre did it so anyway and that's the thing that he's already battling you know these these men are supposed to be here for him but they're all you yes. know around the fire saying melisandre should be here power is what they you want. know so it, it, what what he tried to do was leave her at the wall so mm-hmm. people would look to him but he only served to strengthen her position because that backfired on him People have just lost more faith so in him and placed more faith in her, and mm-hmm. they think that it, had she been there, right, maybe they would have won. And Asha's like, well, I don't know who this mystery woman is, because was she at Deepwood? Because you did pretty well there. And Justin's like, but that wasn't a real battle, right? Ugh. Like, there were just a few of you and a bazillion of us, even though you all fought very bravely, and we actually knew the woods, and you didn't, and... Winterfell will be a battle, right, with many, many more men who know this land better than we do. <laughs> and they're like Roose Bolton, right? They they have enough to rival us. If not more. So, I yeah. mean, they have more men. Yeah, Let's be real. More. They have more men. We know that. Yeah. Let's not lie. And, and we find that out in like a later chapter, right, in one of in Theon's wins chapter. And I, I understand that, you know, Justin Massey is very much a tool, but I... <laughs> and he, but I do like him, and like he's nice to Asha only for her claim, sure. But at the least, like he's showing here what he's telling Asha, I think is a shrewd understanding of the politics of what's going on. It's a lot of what we've been saying just now about Melisandre and how the trappings of power works, and you know, coming back to some of those other ideas of like, 
you know, kneeling first so you can come back with a sword later. You, he's thinking about the Blackwater and we learn again in that Theon sample chapter from Winds that Justin Massey was one of the people along with Richard Horp to be like, Stannis, we've got to retreat. All right, the day is lost. And you can see that uh, Massey doesn't want to redo that day, but now they're in too deep, right? We're going to see them in this chapter get to a point where they can't retreat. They have to go forward. And that's what Stannis wanted to do at the Blackwater. And I'm just like, what? why? What was his plan? Was he, was he just going to stay and die? Like... Everyone knew that the day is lost, and it's not just like Balin's lesson to kneel and fight another day. It's like maybe you got to retreat sometimes so you can go another mm-hmm. day. Even though you know, I do think that Justin's a little wrong because we have to free Ned's girl, even though it's not not Ned's girl there, but we have to free her. The symbol's important. That's the thing with those Southern lords. You know, they don't understand how the North operates with their people. Yeah, as disjointed as some things are now. The North, nine times out of ten, stands firmly together. The hill tribes, or you know, the, the mountain tribes of the North, they don't always, you know, come down to Winterfell that much. But when they do, they always still recognize the Ned. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's their lord, and he's treated them justly, as far as we know. They, they, none of them have any real bad things to say about him that I've seen. So obviously he's doing his job and they respect and care enough to n- know that, okay, um, his kid is in there with these horrible ass people. Nobody in the North really likes the Boltons. <laughs> so we got to go get her. You want us to follow your Southern ass back across the neck and win some war for you that we don't even care about. You're going to do this for us first. Yeah. Because Stannis has to, you know, he's fucked if he doesn't. Yeah. Damned if he do, damned if he don't at this point. Yep, and he sees that position that he's in and he really doesn't like it. That's what's really messing with him. And Asha is listening to everything going on, right? Like, she's a mm-hmm. prisoner. She has nothing to lose. And she thinks from what she's heard, Roos might have more men than Stannis. Uh, and Massey had opposed the march on Winterfell, as we know, as many of the other southern lords had. And the Northmen were like, no, we have to get Ned's girl home and Ned home. And those Northmen were Morgan Little, Brandon Norrie, Big Bucket Wool, the Flints, and the She-Bear. Those are also named as the Northerners. And we get a look at some of the Southern men as well. Get your booing ready, Eliana. Corliss Penny. (laughs) Sir Godry the Giant Slayer. Boo. Boo. Can I get another boo? Come on now. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Boo! Sir Godry farting! He's trying to convince us his last name is farting. It's not. Off with his head. Dude, he's the worst. He, he actually <sighs> really is. The He's only, one of, like, actually the worst. The only one with any redemption is Justin Massey. And he's like, to uh, to coin a phrase that we're talking about heavily over on Discord this week, a fuckboy. But, like, he's like a non-consequential fuckboy. You know what I mean? He's like a, like, fuck around and have fun with him. But you know it's not going to yeah. last anyways because it's war, you know. But he's he's better than the rest of them. But Sir Godry, he sucks. He sucks bad. Just sucks. Yeah, I mean, we shot on him a lot during the John episodes, and you know, it turns out he's never learned his lesson. He still sucks, <laughs> right? And he only gets worse throughout the chapter. However annoying and horrible he seemed at the wall, he's still that, and maybe gets worse. Unsure. I'll have to think about where he's worse at. 
the men continue discussing the march and the troubles ahead. Uh, they decide that the Boltons are unlikely to meet them in the field and their provisions are not going to allow for mounting siege weapons. Yeah, I mean, uh, lots of snow is going to do that. Harwood Fell is optimistic that Arnulf Karstark and Moore's Umber will join their strength to Stannis's. Lol! And they can use the force to raise towers and rams. Interesting. Everyone's very optimistic, but Asha thinks they'll die by the thousands while they do so. Uh, try and raise these towers and rams. Lord Peasbury, though, says, why don't we just stay at Deepwood and stay out the rest of the winter? And Bucket Wall laughs at this idiocy. He's like, <laughs> Gilbert Glover doesn't have any food. Don't be silly. Hey, do you see how many of you are here? <laughs> Who the hell is going to feed everybody? I agree. And he's like, do you know how long Who's winter gonna lasts? Who's going to close everybody? We are in the north, Do you young think man. we just grow money on fucking <laughs> weirwood man. trees? What is right, that you shit? Go, go sit and stare into your damn fires, little boy. Go sit down. Stop playing at war. Right, like, go outside, see what you can find to pay the electric bill, and then we'll talk, fucking Lord Peasberry. Seriously. We know it seems like winter lasts like a month. Right. And and that's the thing is it doesn't, right? Like, these seasons are different. Their winters are quite obviously longer and not like four months not like, oh, here's five months of a season. They have like two years of summer and then all of a sudden it's winter and their life sucks. And we noted it last chapter, but Galbert Glover has nothing in his fields because when the Ironborn took his castle, mm. they literally trampled those fields. They also consumed whatever was in his cellars. Asha was notably in the Wayward Bride sneaking to the kitchen to eat from a huge wheel of cheese, right? Like, that is like, she was out there making her own charcuterie platter. And Asha comments about the trampling on the field. Wheat, like, real-life wheat takes seven to eight months for a harvest cycle. It's planted mid-fall, latest. It grows out until spring-summer. There's no chance for a harvest like it's over winter is here it's on the door like they can joke and say it's autumn's kiss but there's no time to prepare anymore this is it no yeah i think um they're gonna have a horrible time yeah one once will to really I, honestly they're having a horrible time right now <laughs> they are and i and I, I i want i want to say that in the back of asha's head she probably regrets that. Yeah. Because now look, and, and even if they would have been able to hold and they did defeat Stannis, still, what are you going to eat? And yeah. And she shows sympathy towards the Glovers. Yeah. And that's the thing is Asha was so caught up in how to stay alive. She didn't think about the Glovers, right? Like that seemed to come as an afterthought, as we notice in this chapter. And putting mm -hmm. it into these terms, this is how we see Littlefinger so easily dupe the veil right? Because the South buys. That's how they replenish their stocks. They buy. They don't have to grow. The Reach has a lot of different variations of growing in agriculture, but the South doesn't have to think in terms of natural resources. When Asha and Christopher talk about Sea Dragon Point, they talk about the natural resources there, and she names them off. The South can buy their way out of problems. Look at how the throne took the Lannisters. Now, the North is the mm -hmm. literal rendition of if you teach a man to ice fish, he'll have fish for the rest of his life. Rest of his life, yeah. Well, maybe for like a few days, as we're going to find next chapter. <laughs> maybe like 10 days. Well, yeah, yeah. It definitely depends on how many men you're teaching at one time at the same fishing hole. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunately not going to last them for their lifetime. Not all men are made with the same amount of brain cells, okay? Absolutely yeah, and true. And the Southern Lords... The Southern Lords do not think on that level 
whatsoever. Fewer than most. Because they're so uppity that they think that the the shit just, you know, magically appears. They say they want it. They can toss some silver stags at it. And then, boom, it's there. You don't get that luxury in the North. Old folks literally will leave their homes and go die in the woods if they have to. Yeah. So their younger family can survive the winter in the North. That's how harsh it is. And that's the contrast, right? In in the North, people will sacrifice themselves for the good of the many, right? That seems to be the philosophy that we're seeing right now. Whereas in the South, as we're seeing with these men, they're like, what if I sacrifice this other person for the good of me? Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, look look at everything Tywin has done. Yes. Everything everything Cersei's done. From the very jump street, Jaime pushing Bran out that window. True. It's a it's a common trend for Southerners. Unf- well, no, not unfortunately, but very fortunately, we don't see a lot of that in the North. Richard Hort interrupts this and turns to Stannis, beginning to say, "Your Grace, your brother," but Stannis cuts him off because he knows what Robert would have done. Robert <laughs> would gallop up to the gates of Winterfell alone. Break them down with his war hammer and ride through the rubble to slay Roose Bolton with his left hand and the bastard with his right. Stannis rose to his feet. I am not Robert, but we will march, and we will free Winterfell or die in the attempt. This is why people don't like Stannis. Why would you add that part at the end? It's, it's it, uh, exactly. It, it's that little bit at the end. What the fuck you mean or die in the attempt, bro? We didn't come here to die. We I? did not come here to die. We came here to win. All we I do know. is win, win, win. What the fuck are you talking about, Stannis? Well, he could have ended it there. Like that was a that was a pretty like interesting, you know, like, like, good like, delivery. That was decent. Yeah, that was a good delivery. We will. Free and then you though. add this shit on. See, as soon as that little last bit, that's when the crowd goes, ugh. Like, there's a collective bitch face all across the realm. You gotta keep it optimistic, man. You gotta keep your political speeches big. Even Tyrion knows that. Tyrion in the Blackwater had a great speech where he was like, listen, like, we're gonna go in and we're gonna give it our all, guys. Like, we're all bastards, right? Like, we're all gonna go. John has good speeches. Asha Last chapter, she had a great speech, but this? This is what Theon you come out swinging speeches. with, Stannis? Like, this is... <sighs> and that's the thing. Again, Stannis never wanted to make friends. He always thought that he can do things on his own. And because he is who he is, just for the hell of it, people are gonna just do what he says. No, sir. Robert had qualities to where he could make his enemies be his friends after one drinking session. And it don't even gotta be till the whole drinking session is over. After that first shot, this man is telling jokes with some guy whose son he probably killed ten minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all gravy. Renly was even better. He would have found the right words to say to, to get these people on his side. Just Stannis just doesn't have tact. He is a great tactician and uh-huh. a good military leader, but to be king, to 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 be this person that people actually respect, and even more importantly, when you're in that position, love and care about, and you know, to to curry favor that people actually want 
to help him succeed yeah. and see him succeed, Stannis doesn't know how to do that. His PR team sucks. You need more than the Wicked Witch of the Far East and, like, a <laughs> smuggler knight. You know what I mean? You need uh, more than just Stannis. The Wicked Witch of the Far East that don't even know how to read the signs. Yeah, right? you need more than the fucking team from Wizard of Oz, right? Like, the lion with no heart. I mean, uh, let's find the courage and move on, Stannis. But he has no charisma, none of that. And... The lords feel doubtful, and it might be because of what you're saying here, right? Like his victories. Like, We're gonna die. Yeah, that might be it. His victories are becoming well known. He smashed wildlings at the wall. He cleaned Asha and the rest of the Ironborn out of Deepwood, and now he's going on to avenge the Red Wedding. See, he could have led with this, you know. Like this is why some people do like amongst his camp, right? Follow him and respect him because they are seeing that there are victories. They they respect that. They saw what happened at the wall. And maybe if Stannis was like, you know, if he had led up with all that and was like, and we're gonna do that again at Winterfell, but no, he's like, we're gonna die. Wow. That's the thing. It's that trickle-down effect. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you did have some good wins under your belt. Like, you're, you're probably the only dude that we've read about that, you know, totally beat back the Ironborn at sea. That is impressive. Yeah. However, in these recent times here, my lord, you've had L after <laughs> L after L after L, and it keeps getting worse. Your whiny ass dudes are crying because there's a little bit of snow on the ground. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't want to move. They think they should stay in this spot and winter where there already is no food. winter. <laughs> like it's a vacation. And, 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 and now you saying they're going to die? That's your pep talk? <laughs> yeah. And he didn't, doesn't even give them, like, a good, we're gonna die, you know? He doesn't give them a, like, we're gonna go out and, no, like, a blaze totally of glory. No, it's totally grim. Yeah. Uh, he could have he could have given something like how Big Bucket Wolf talks about it later, and we'll get there. That, 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 that's what I was about to say. He, he needs to take a cue from Wolf. And all he has to do is weaken Bolton, right? Like, if he can weaken the Boltons, the North will abandon him, because every house in the North has lost someone in the Red Wedding. And Asha thinks mm-hmm. about this, right? And she's like, oh, so you hope. But first the king must bloody him. Mm-hmm. Only a fool deserts the winning side. And maybe it's just me, but I I feel like Asha's very removed point of view here from this whole situation is something to think about. She understands this all too well thanks to her queen's moot, right? And her failed queen's moot. Yep. Uh, she understands that only a fool deserts the winning side. Well, they're all going to Euron for a reason. No one wants to desert the winning side there, and uh, Stannis, I don't know if you're going to be the winning side once a couple Starks come back into play. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And he did try to get the Starks on his side, but you went to the wrong Stark, (laughs) dude. You, You went to the Stark that is the most like his Uncle Daddy. And he keeps his vows. Yeah. yeah. Just like you, as a stickler for the rules, would expect him to. But then here you are trying to coax this man out of his seat. Maybe he didn't show up when Ned was like, where's Stannis? Yeah, right. I'm here. Where is he? Exactly. It, it, see, you know what? That just reminded me. Again, it, a, a lot of this could have been avoided. And I'm going to blame Stannis here. Because when, when, when the shiz went down after John Aaron died... Stannis had the damn information. Mm-hmm. Yes. He knew Ned was coming. He had the receipts. This little asshole left and went to Dragonstone and never said not one word until after all the shit went down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you actually cared enough to go and tell John Aaron what was going down, because granted, you know your brother's not going to listen to you. 
So you go tell one of the men that he trusts with everything what's going down. And obviously John believed him because he ended up dead for all that. And now when the pinch time really comes and you know Ned is coming, you should have met him long before that page from the, the, the freaking council got to him. You should have been there at the gate to greet him at King's Landing like, hey, bruh, mm-hmm. I know we, I have had my issues with you in the past, but it's been shit going down right now. And I need you to be aware of what is happening. We need to talk. But no, you just took your ass back to Dragonstone and said, fuck everything. And now you're mad that people don't want to call you king. <laughs> Absolutely true. And then part of it is like, on one hand, it's like, where where the fuck were you? Like, you're not going to trust the, the the guy. The whole yeah. time Ned was in King's Landing. Yeah. The whole damn time. You could have been there to help him, dude. But he was building his creepy fucking nightmare before Christmas council, right? Like, that's what he was busy doing with his old creepy fucking witch girlfriend and his creepy maester who ends up dying anyways because he obviously is like, and oh, you're creepy ass I, love that, I love that maester. Oh, I love Crescent um, too, but I'm just saying. I, I, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's very interesting that he uh, used it as an opportunistic moment. And it seems that people in this story that use opportunistic moments like this of tragedy and despair and weather that is not great... Uh, people that use that to their advantage usually do not win in the end is just something I've noticed, right? Like people who try to uh, exploit other people to politically get ahead. So maybe we'll keep our eye on that moving forward. They always say that, you know, the old gods are in the North, but the old gods we know don't like ugly. (laughs) And whether you think they can see you in the South or not... I'm telling you, they can see you, and they gonna get you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Just saying, they don't like ugly. You know who likes- We already know what's coming to House Frey, and House Frey ain't in the north. <laughs> well, they are, unfortunately, right now. For a little. That's true. But... Just a, For some... a little bit. Just we'll get a little out. bit. We'll get them out. But, you know who Eliana does not want us to get out? You know who Eliana's like, keep him in? Sir Justin Massey, Eliana's A Song of Ice and Fire, Asha Chapter Boyfriend. Uh, yep. Yep, mine is Carl. Justin is yep. Eliana's boyfriend, and Justin won't stop flirting with Asha. He's flashing smiles and jokes. He has these handsome blue eyes and blonde hair. I think Carl and Justin, I think that they could agree to a threesome. I'm going to throw it out there, put that energy into the universe. Um I'll just jot this if down. If that's what they had to do, yeah. Yeah. And I they, think they, they should be they thankful for this threesome you're talking about personally. I agree. <laughs> it's something that we deserve. I mean, they're pretty boys. Yeah. They're they're pretty boys from the south. They again don't know shit about the <laughs> real world and how to actually navigate in different places other than their homes cuz half of them probably haven't been more than a couple miles or maybe one town or one city away from where, where they grew up. So no, that they're looking at it the whole wrong way. You don't get an ironborn lady of Asha's caliber. No, just by smiling at her and bringing her some wine and maybe some extra bread and cheese, even though the food is running low, you don't get that with jokes. That doesn't impress Asha at all. You want to impress her. Pick up a sword or an axe. Better yet, pick up an axe and show what you can do. 
Yeah. Uh, demonstrate that and also bring something to the table, right? Like a lot of these people know. And put some bass in your voice. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, we, we, you know, for, forget what the show, you know, did with Asha's character. Not that I'm wholly oh mad at it. I get why they did it. But Asha appreciates being dominated. And a lot of times that happens with people that hold leadership roles all the time. They like that little bit of space where they can cut loose and have someone else be in control. Justin Massey ain't that guy. He can't handle Asha. No. He's not going to be able to give her what she wants. Especially a kingdom. What she wants most is a kingdom. Get gr- Women want kingdoms. Get me right. a kingdom. You know, everyone. He trying <laughs> try to come to her so he could get his kingdom. Mm-hmm. She yes. already, e- even though she doesn't have much, she already has more to bring to the table than he does. Yeah, he's lost all of his lands, right? He's a southern lord with no lands. And yep. he's after her and her islands. And... He either has to lower his pride or be a knight the rest of his life. And as we know from the John chapters, he had wanted Val and that got kind of ruined. So Asha's now his target. And Asha, of course, is being watched over by a different jailer, by Alisane Mormont, who's the ferocious heir to Bear Island. She's uh, This is actually something I really appreciate. She's short, she's yeah. thick and muscular and chunky. Mm-hmm. She has big thighs, big boobs calloused hands she's dressed like a warrior she's wearing fur and boiled leather and ring mail and sheepskin and she's actually of an age with asha they're the same age and a warrior class of woman in their own very distinct mm-hmm. culture and i think that's really awesome how it's pointed out here and uh i don't know i just like the way that asha gets to kind of see another warrior of her caliber it's so great when you get to see them come together and it's something that i just wish a lot of the other women and girl characters were able to do and interact with each other. Alisan, uh, she explains a lot of the women on Bear Island are kind of like that later on, but um, it's not something that women, especially as we are talking about the difference between the North and the South, they really get to experience. I very much appreciate the Lady Warriors of this series. I honestly would have liked to see you know, Asha's thoughts on Daisy. Yeah. Aww. Had Daisy not had Daisy not been killed at the Aww. red wedding, um, you know she she was part of Rob's um, personal Kingsguard. You know for for Northern lords to you know show that amount of trust to have her be one of the ones protecting their king that shows her skill mm-hmm. and her valor. You know I, I don't think Rob or anyone else did that just to do her a favor. He actually saw the skills she had and he recognized that and honored her with that position. And the, the Southern Lords can't think on that level because they're, they're too much in, in their dicks, pretty much. <laughs> it, it's, it's all about the peen and they, they don't know that women can and will fight and cut you down just as hard as any other man if you give them the means to. Absolutely. And none of this really matters to Asha, right? Because she, at this point, knows that she's been defeated twice, so... She mm-hmm. won't get her father's land. She was defeated at the King's Moot very publicly in front of all of the Ironborn, and then she was defeated at Deepwood Mott. Wedding a southern lord or knight would just make that worse, and it doesn't matter because she's already married to Eric. She thinks, The Kraken's daughter turned out to be just a woman after all, the captains and the kings would say. See how she spreads her legs for this soft green landlord. It makes me think that how Asha fears she's perceived by the Iron Islanders 
is actually how Stannis is being perceived by the Northerners. Ash's chapters reinforce the placeholder Stannis is in the North. Her comparisons of the Northern culture and the Ironborn culture, how they follow, how they lead in light of her culture, is especially significant here. She's somehow surviving through this journey with a broken ankle and the bitter cold, and Stannis, well, he's not looking great. He's losing man after man. He's starting to look gaunt. He can't survive leading men in this northern climate, so how can he expect to lead the northern people? How can he expect to lead the realm? Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't keep this small band of soldiers that you have alive. How is anyone supposed to put trust in you to, to guard all of, of the, the kingdoms? Yeah. It, it's just not going to work. It isn't going to work. And, you know, and he, he's giving, I think, too much credit to people that he shouldn't. He's leaning on them too much, but then missing gems like Alisane or Asha that are in his midst that he just chooses to ignore. Yeah, and the Mormons are respected how- Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, she Alisane would not be there if she wasn't capable. But Stannis, and, and it's not just him, it's really all Southern Lords, they don't know how to think like that. You know, in the North, resources can be scarce at different points, so you use every resource at your disposal. If this woman has a battle axe or spiked mace- or sword that she can wield well and you know that she has that skill that they have the you know the right type of mentality they're going to utilize that skill they're not going to stamp it down because it's needed you know the north the, the north doesn't waste southerners though mm, they prissy like that <laughs> yeah and that's interesting because what you're saying here is and which absolutely makes sense for somewhere like the north is that northern is that the people are themselves a resource, right? Yes. And that very much makes so. women precious and, and perfectly as capable as men here. And it's it's so interesting because again, we saw it a bit through John, who obviously has a biased northern perspective, because he's John. Um and very mm. much of the North, but we're seeing that outsider's perspective again from Asha, neither southern nor northern, kind of in the middle, but they she comes from a land also of limited resources, hoping for something a little mm-hmm. different. So yeah, she's she's just kind of comparing the two. Even though she's not really saying it explicitly, we can really see how that comes through. You know, like one of the thing, one of the lines from I don't remember if it was said in the book, but on the show that has always stuck with me with Asha is that first moment when Theon is getting ready to take the soldiers that were given to him to go on that task that Balon sent them on. They didn't want to listen to him when he first got down there, mm-hmm. but Asha came through, said like five words, and everybody's up at him getting to work, and Theon's looking at her like, bitch, what the fuck? And her line was, these men would wait here for a year for me if I told them to. You, on the other hand, they they don't know you. Yeah. They know me. They know my skill. They know if they act up, I'm going to chop them the fuck down. And they know that they're not going to be getting back up. So they're not going to go against their liege lady. You know, and it's it's not normal for Ironborn to see a woman in leadership like that. But again, they watch this woman grow up. They know the skills she has. They know the training she has. They know her mind from how she rules them. Yeah, 
if she told them stand still for for a year on that dock on one leg, patting the top of their head, they would do it. Theon doesn't understand leadership on her level. I'd add that on top of that, like, you know, they would do that. And I would say it's a start. It is a start for them. (laughs) They should be listening to her at that caliber and above, personally. That's just my personal opinion. I digress. That's facts. And this energy is exactly what lets Asha keep Justin Massey bringing her luxuries while she's imprisoned. Right, Mm -hmm. like, he's supposed to be her jailer, Mm -hmm. but he's out here like, here's your really nice shampoo and conditioner. Just kidding, they don't get showers. Uh, And he's more entertaining. He would do it, though. He He would would. do it. You know what they do get, though? Well, well, maybe not everybody, but Asha, she she gets a a leg rub Mm -hmm. from him Mm -hmm. because of her ankle. And, you know, the the horse died that was pulling the, the cart she was in. So now she has to walk on this broken ankle. But that's okay, because, you know, Massey gonna come over here and, you know, massage that muscles <laughs> and try to limber you up, my lady. But let, I can't give you a horse, but let me try to ease your pain just a little bit. Yeah. Why don't you do that for me, Chloe? I digress. Damn it, Chloe. <laughs> Chloe, you slipping on your I'm pimping, slipping. man. Come on I'm now. Slipping. I'm sorry. You sp- you supposed to take care of your lady. What for you better doing? or for worse, for Stannis or for poor. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know what? Justin Massey isn't that bad. I joke about Eliana's Aeswaf, uh hookup, Justin Massey, but he's more entertaining than Alisane, right? And Asha is like, well, everyone here hates me except for Justin Massey, so this is fun. I'm just going to be nice to him, I guess. And she does ask for a horse. They went 22 miles the first day, 24 the second and she has no freedom. She wants a horse. Those that were devoted to her lore, they lead their prayers each night outside the king's pavilion, men-at-arms and knights. And Asha would have called these men the king's men, but she learns that everyone calls them queen's men instead. For the queen, they left at Castle Black, not Solice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. gives you an insight into who holds the real power here, right? <laughs> And where Stannis' power derives from, it comes from the faith that these men have in Melisandre as opposed to it coming from really blood inheritance or physical strength. It's because he's been blessed by Melisandre, that moniker of Queen's Men. I think it really means something a little different. It hits different in Asha's chapters because Mm -hmm. she's someone who was trying to be queen. She was trying to get people to follow her. She had some Queen's Men and a lot of them defected and... That that idea of faith is, I'm sure, something that's well taken based on the influence that the damp hair has in the Iron Islands and how no one followed her because the damp hair was like, what if we held a king's boot, everyone? And that was a terrible idea. We should have never done that. And um, <laughs> maybe maybe it'll come into play again for him if he's, you know, alive in the next book. So a lot of things are, are really gravy there, so. Yeah, I'm sure Aaron very much regrets calling that king's moot like bro you so deep in your feelings that you you really called for this thing to happen and now look who's in charge he played himself (sighs) he did exactly congratulations you played yourself it is valid you could have just convinced them to give asha the crown and they would have listened they're doing a lot of shooting themselves here comes here comes euron with with the presence 
and now you're fucked. They do a lot of shooting themselves in the foot. And it's not just the Ironborn, right? We get, like, the Southerners. Gotta mm-hmm. be the giant slayer. He's a dick. He's muscled <sighs> and arrogant. Asha thinks he's hungry for glory. Not unlike his king, that he doesn't treat small folk, wolf, women, or wolves very well. Uh, and she, she's kind of, like, seeing these Southerners. She's kind of figuring out how to play them. She asks Justin for a horse, like AK said, and the next time he comes through, she's like, I'm going crazy in my chains. Please let me have a horse. And he's like, You're, nope, that's the king's decision, not mine. And she's like, your king won't listen to a woman. And Alisane is like, How, why would he listen to an Iron Man after what your brother did at Winterfell? Which, of course, was not Ash's fault. She explains, she's like, I'm not Theon, but the chains remain. No one cares. And she goes on to think about her mother. She reflects back at the last goodbye that she shared with her mother over at Ten Towers on Harlaw's lands. Yes, we have this line. Theon could not come, Asha had told her, looking down upon the ruin of the woman who had given her birth, a mother who had lost two of her sons, and the third, I send you each a piece of prince. Whatever befell when battle was joined at Winterfell, Asha Greyjoy did not think her brother likely to survive it. Theon Turncloak. Even the she-bear wants his head on a spike. As well she should. <laughs> yeah, it's understandable. I mean, his actions might have led to the death of her sister. In a way. Yep. Yeah, they did. And I do like how this chapter is paired directly with the Turncloak. Right before we have the passage. Jane. Her name is Jane. She should not look to me for rescue. Theon Greyjoy might have tried to help her once, but Theon had been ironborn, a braver man than Reek. Reek, Reek, it rhymes with weak. This is what makes the next chapter, The Sacrifice for Asha, so exciting and so full of depth. Asha has been assuming this entire time that her brother, weak or injured, would not survive the Flayer's game. But instead, Theon appears at the end of the sacrifice and says, Don't hate the flayer, hate the game, sis. It's the best moment in the whole box. <laughs> Sorry. Um, speaking of Theon moments, Theon moments that uh, we have not seen in the entire story that we brought up during our coverage of Theon. He's not yet seen his mother. We have not seen them interact, so she hasn't seen him. Doesn't know he's not a baby boy, and so it'll be interesting. Uh, also that her name, Alanis, kind of gonna throw this out there alanis is kind of like the name alisane but if you switch some of the letters around i don't know what it means i don't know it it might not mean anything but it's a thought (laughs) it's a thought yeah uh asha asks alisane if she has brothers and alisane tells us of her five sisters liana who is on bear island lyra and jory who are with Mage, and Daisy, who was murdered at the Red Wedding. She also says she has a son and daughter. They're ages two and nine, and she says she also started pretty young, maybe even too young, having children, but she's like, better than waiting! Looking at Asha, and Asha's like, wow. Wow, I'm being attacked. (laughs) Asha asks who her husband was, and Alisane responds that her children were fathered by a bear and smiles telling her Mormont women are skin changers and warriors who turn into bears and find mates in the wood. Sidebar. Biggest overlooked mystery in this whole damn series. Who in the hell is fathering these Mormont kids? I know. I know a lot of people think it's Tormund, and I think that fits. 
Except maybe when it comes to Daisy. Either way, mm. who is the daddy and why were were they allowed to keep the name Mormons instead of Snow? That's a good question. I think There's Bear a- Island is definitely different, right? Like, it's supposed to be different from the rest of the North in that way of similar to the Iron Islands, right? Like, they dealt with so much bullshit from the raiders from the Iron Islands for so long. I feel like they get to just have whatever they want as their culture. Or maybe they were like, you know, J.R. was cool, but then he exhibited really poor judgment in abdicating and then letting Jorah (laughs) rule Bear Island. And Jorah was an idiot. Fuck Jorah. And they were like, obviously, we can't trust men anymore. So... Also, why was Jorah even allowed to marry that damn Hightower girl? Why was Jorah allowed, period? All right. Why was Jorah allowed anything? I mean, exactly. You know, Bear Island is arguably one of the poorest spots. Not because, you know, they can't survive and provide for their people, but they are nowhere near rich on the level that the Hightowers are. Who approved that match? It's a really good match. Just something that that didn't make sense to me. It's a really good match. Like, you can't hope for that as a tiny-ass northern house. We know, no offense to Bear Island, and I don't mean this in a mocking way, I just mean it quite literally, they're inconsequential to the rest of the nation, right? Like, no yeah, one thinks about sure them. Enough. We do. That doesn't count, though. Well, I'm sure the Starks did enough, because they yeah. always stayed loyal. So th- there, there was enough care there, but it just, in the grand scheme of things, they're one small ripple in that pond, one very tiny ripple. They're consequential to the North, like you said, and the Starks, because of, I mean, the very POV that we are looking at all this through. They're a stronghold against the Ironborn. Mm -hmm. But everyone else, they're like, I don't know, whatever. I guess those people are there. It's the defense. It's like how the neck Mm -hmm. is the defense against the South. Yeah. Indeed. Well, Alisane's smile fades when she reminds Asha of why those women of Bear Island became these warriors, right? Because the Ironborn raided their island, and the young cubs had to learn to fear the Krakens and the old way. And mm-hmm. we talked a lot last chapter about Ash's hopes and dreams of settling people on Sea Dragon Point in the Bay of Ice. If her conversation with Tristane Botley wasn't just wishes, she'd do best to learn from these men that have come from House Wool or the Flints from the Bay of Ice, because that's where Sea Dragon Point is, right? This northwest point of that bay. These will be her neighbors. Making good with the bears might be in her far better interests if she wants to make Greyjoy amends. And I also think something really interesting is coming up in this culture and religion in the northern land in general. Sea Dragon Point, for example, has weirwood circles in its highest hills and was known to be inhabited by children of the forest. Asha knows that the old way has cost the Ironborn so many of their battles, so much land, their pride has been too bold in the face of their ambitions over the years. Yep, and I think that ties into what uh, we were all saying earlier. Asha... To, to me, and you know, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but she's the only, you know, main Ironborn character that we've seen actually look and assess the things they did in the mm-hmm. past. And she, you know, very clearly sees where they are right now in the present, and she wants a better future. And she knows Ironborn are not going to survive if they continue to cling to this old way. You know, she she's actually a bit remorseful about it, which, you know, is commendable to her because, you know, not everyone's going to look back and 
see something that they their people did and actually feel bad and, and take responsibility within themselves for it and try to change it. So that's one of the things that makes uh, Asha, you know, one, one of my favorite characters in the whole story. Mm. She's very good at, again, like I said, reading the room and trying to think of better ways to do it. Just unfortunately, she doesn't always have the resources to really get to where she wants to go. And she's open-minded, right? Uh, she might not be yes. a history buff. She doesn't claim to be a history buff, but she also isn't saying to Uncle Roderick, no, put the book away, Nuncle. I don't want to read your smelly old books. She is open to these histories. And I think there's something in mm-hmm. these Ironborn histories to look back at. George likes to sandbox a lot of these ideas. And when you look back at, for example, Theon, the hungry wolf Stark, King Theon, his battles against Herrig Hor who had control of Stony Shore and Sea Dragon Point and the Iron Islands, and King Theon defends the North during the Andal invasion with House Bolton at his side, defeating Argo Seven Star, burning a bunch of Andal villages, capturing houses and septs, and Herig leads ships to the North, burns the Wolfswood. His son, Ravos the Raper, destroys Bear Island and rapes and reeves its people and their belongings, and King Theon, the hungry wolf Stark, has to come down to expunge these ironborn from his lands, freeing both Cape Kraken and Bear Island, as well as some of the other northern lands on the Bay of Ice. What we're seeing right now with Stannis cleaning out the swamp in the north does feel like this story, him cleaning the ironborn out. But with the northern land we're hearing about having so much potential to live upon, It kind of makes me think that the Stony Shore, Cape Kraken, Bay of Ice, uh, all these lands, the Sea Dragon Point, these are important places. I think that we're definitely going to be seeing places like the Gift resettled in A Dream of Spring, but I imagine the rule of the Iron Islands could change. Asha's ending in Game of Thrones was pretty vague. We know many people have opinions on it, but I could see this being a compromise for her. Instead of having this independent people Maybe she'll take some of the northern land in the end and resettle it with her people and have them start having their own new way, right? Uh, Be a part of or join one of the kingdoms. Can can I just backtrack a little bit? Just to take a minute or two to wax poetic about Theon the Hungry Wolf. If you want to talk about legendary Starks, go look up Theon the Hungry Wolf. Dude is the epitome of badass. He's probably my second favorite Stark ancestor in the the whole lore. He didn't just fight against the Andals. He took his people and crossed the Narrow Sea and went to Andalos and kicked their ass there. Yeah. And then brought all their heads back and put them up in a line along the shore of the Narrow Sea back on his side uh, of the north in Westeros. Basically saying, bitch, don't. And guess what kingdom the Andals never got a foothold in? Yep. That's my dude. He is my second favorite. The only one that trumps him in my book is Cregan, because Cregan's the only Stark that went to King's Landing, handled some shit, and then disappeared back north like the mist of frickin' Avalon, and went back home unscathed. Hell yeah. The old school Starks knew what the hell was up. Yeah, uh, I I really like um, what you said about Theon Stark, and I think that uh, that's something that sounds like it's going to be coming into play, right, with the ending of the books, especially if we see, maybe not as, like, a Theon, right, but what you're saying of uh, being unconquered, 
So that'll be interesting. And I kind of wonder, you know, is that something that we could see? I, I mean, maybe it's like, as you're saying with the kingdoms, right? But it, it doesn't seem like that's what's going to happen for the Ironborn, per se, as as Chloe's saying. Maybe they'll join one of the kingdoms, maybe not. Or maybe this is something where like the Ironborn suffer so much, and in a way, they're reborn again, and we'll have to see what kind of culture reforms afterwards uh, that, and likely Asha, hopefully, will take them and help them rebuild. Hmm. Yeah, that that's Basically, one one of my hopes for the Ironborn is that you know they'll you know drop their old stigmas, their old ways, and actually learn how to function in the present world that they are in. Because you know the the raping and the reaving, and you know thieving all up and down the the coast is just not going to get them any type of wealth the way they think. You know they're yeah. they're still uh, standing. Uh, um, Herod the Black, because of what he accomplished, you cannot go back to that. There's no way. You know, the rest of Westeros is not going to let you because they're not going to let themselves fall into that nonsense again. I understand you want to be more important, but you need to go around doing it the right way. And I think Asha is the forward thinker that's actually trying to, well, not trying to just yet, but she wants to make those changes. You know, she, she she sees what needs to be done and she wants to get there, but she's got to start first. And unfortunately, she's not in a good starting position right now. Yeah, she's in a really bad starting position, <laughs> especially uh, right now in the third day. You know, they're passing familiar landmarks and she's like, remember the time that I was here a few, uh, a few bucks ago? And I was... We thought we were in a bad position then, passing this stony hill, these natural stone arches... Going all the way back to Winterfell, but, you know, it's not as bad as right now, because she's like, back then, you know, we are trying to warn Theon, tell him, set the so folly aside. She failed that day, too. Things are failing a lot right now, because they're going 14 miles, stumbling on the side of the road under trees that night. Justin Massey unlocks her shackles, and she gets taken by him and Alysanne to see Stannis, who feeds her table scraps, winning real hard right now. <laughs> Good starting position. Uh, at his pavilion, eating scraps while his commanders and captains eat well, and then they go to another another place, the tent. It's yellow canvas. It's faded and stained by mud and mildew, uh, with a standard flying from the center pole. There's a night fire blazing on its fourth side, where the queen's men pray to their jealous god, because... Uh, other things that aren't going so well for her right now. Her religion, <laughs> the drowned god, is seen as a demon. In the eyes of the Queensmen. She's like, well, shit, I guess I gotta embrace their god or seem somewhat pious because otherwise she's gonna be doomed to the flames. Things are going really great. She's already heard the men urging it, and thankfully Stannis has refused. Yes, and she thinks about Stannis. Victory, doom, the face of his red and hungry god. His eyes were sunk in deep pits, his close-cropped beard no more than a shadow across his hollow cheeks and bony jawbone. Yet there was power in his stare, an iron ferocity that told Asha this man would never, ever turn back from his course. Which means that Melisandre's gonna burn his daughter. Anyways, uh, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Everyone, we know it's him. This is the one true podcast. <laughs> 
she brings herself to one knee. She begs Stannis to strike her irons off and let her ride. He says that she earned her irons, and she agrees, and now she offers him all she can. Her ships, her men, her wits. Kind of see Asha trying to get out of this uh, prison imprisonment. With both the Jamie Lannister and the Tyrion <laughs> methods of negotiation. Jamie Lannister, just let me ride the horse, right? Just take the irons off of me. Tyrion, but what if I gave you these things that I don't really have right now but promised? <laughs> and my wits! Ah, uh, to be a rich kid, am I right? Oh my god. <sighs> I mean, if you're gonna be a bastard, you better be a rich That's bastard. That's for sure. That's true. <sighs> John only learns that later on. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Stannis mentions he's like well you know what fun fact your ships are in fact mine now or I burned them <laughs> so fun. I don't need you to tell me anything and also fun fact Asha you have barely any men left I killed them all great awesome and Asha's like okay okay what if I can deliver Torrin Square to you and it's Garrison but Stannis is like I don't really give a shit about Torrin Square I want Winterfell and so Asha tries again. She asks this time, take my chains off um, and I'll help you take Winterfell. And she she drops some great lines that are not good. This was a... It's uh, a bad move. She goes, your grace's royal brother was renowned for turning fallen foes into friends. Make me your man. And Sinus is like, the gods did not make you a man. How can I? What a mistake. Why would you bring up Roberto? 30 points from House Greyjoy. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah. Was she trying to neg him? Come on, come on, Asha. You you knew better. You knew better. Why did you bring up You know, Roberts? she thinks it afterwards. She thinks you- she's like, oh, I fucked up. So you know what? I'll at least give her that, that she at least like sat there and was like, maybe not my best move. Ugh. You know, she, it, it it seemed in, in Stannis' response that he might have slightly, you know, even though he, he he seemed like he brushed it off, he might have slightly thought about Torrin Square. Because that really would have just been more supplies yeah. and more and more uh, fighters yeah. to join him. But, then she goes and mentions Robert, and he completely dismisses everything else after that. And to be fair, we know yeah. what awaits them if they did go to Torrin Square, because Theon goes there for Roos and Ramsay. Yeah, join her. Stannis turns back to his fire, and Justin Massey pulls Asha aside, telling her, don't bring up the brother. She thinks I should have known better, and remembers Theon living in awe and fear of Roderick and Meryn, deciding brothers never grow out of being little brothers. She thinks about throttling Stannis with her chains, rattling them at her wrists, and she eats stew. It's venison stew. They had found a scrawny heart that night, which I feel like is some foreshadowing, right? A scrawny deer. Mm. Mm. Interesting. But it was all they had. Outside the tent, the men received a heel of bread and a chunk of finger-length sausage and the last of Lord Glover's ale. That's so sad. Yeah. The last of the alcohol. Um. Mood. Yeah. Why? Why is the rum always gone? <laughs> I know. It's so sad. It's so sad. The throttling Stannis with her chains. I. I just feel like George is making a. Brief reference to Star Wars and Princess Leia with Jabba the Hutt in that moment. Oh. Then we get... I caught that. Yeah, just like a... Guys, remember? I like... I like things. <laughs> and... <laughs> we get a reminder of the distance that has to be crossed from Deepwood Mott to Winterfell. We get the line, 100 leagues from Deepwood Mott to Winterfell. 300 miles as the raven flies. And then Justin, on day four of this march... 
wishes that he were a raven, especially as the snow begins to lightly fall. And I kind of thought that was another interesting line, referencing something else that happens in this book, where Bran finds out that the children of the forest have mostly gone into the ravens. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. People did that in this book. I was going to say, uh, he wishes he was a raven. Well, don't wish too hard. You might end up a crow, boy. Oh, that's true. Good one. Good He's one. going to the wall, I mean, for a little bit he before he goes to Bravos. It snows again the following days, and soon the men have snow-caked beards. If they didn't have beards, then they start to grow one for warmth. The wind picks up as they struggle through the hills with some of the Northmen wearing what are called bear paws. Great name, by the way. Fantastic branding. Mm. They're the, the old tennis racket glued to the shoe trick, and <laughs> these ones, though, are made of old wood pieces attached to the shoe, and some... Made them for their horses and other creatures as well, though the animals didn't really like them, and one broke its ankle trying to walk in them, which makes sense. They're called bear paws, okay? They're not called horseshoes. Horseshoes are different, all right? Really? Are they? See, I gotta wonder, wouldn't they have fashioned them for the animals, though? Just like they fashioned them to suit their own Yeah, they're supposed to be spare bits of wood, though, so, like, obviously it seems they didn't have the right support in the right places. Mm. or too much like you know when you wear like you ever have like a crazy pair of like boots with a heel on them that are like a not a stiletto heel but like a big heel like those like they're very confusing because you're like wow you're gripping my leg and my ankle so hard but yet there's a heel on my foot and i might die i think yeah the well i think the horses are they no, they're not about fashion. Sometimes they're about fashion. Never mind. What? I'm not going to go down. I... I'm not going down this rabbit hole that I was going down with horses. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, the Northmen begin to then outdistance the rest of the group because they've got bear paws. And the wagon, the people with the wagons and the men keep falling behind and they're trying to keep up. The fifth day of the storm brings them across a frozen pond that's concealed by snow and then they end up losing four horses and several men, including Harwood Fell, who tried to rescue them and then ends up getting pulled out before he drowns, his lips blue and skin pale. Interesting, interesting look, shivers violently for hours and dies in a feverish sleep, never speaking after that. Okay, when I read this, the first thing I thought of was Euron. Uh, This is like some crazy Euron symbolism, not the whole dying part, which will also probably happen. Uh, but the coloring, right? The pale skin, the blue lips, and the silence, the not speaking before his death. And I think George does a lot to use Euron as kind of this uh, this foreshadowing or this metaphor for the others, right? For the oncoming winter. It's great to keep him in the backdrop since he's specifically the one that is responsible for taking Ash's claim out of this, right? I mean... Her ill-attention to Lady Glover is also unhelpful, right? But uh, with no backup or other options, I mean, Euron is the reason she can't go home. And he's coming. Uh, Much like Herrig the Whore and Ravos the Raper burnt everything down, Euron is going to burn everything down and fight Theon the Hungry Stark. Whoever Theon the Hungry Stark is, I personally love the, uh, the theory. I think poor Quentin put forth that Bran and Danny will burn Euron physically and mentally, right? with each other like Danny will be using the dragon on him Bran will be frying his brain out I don't know kind of a cool idea but if this chapter is just the beginning of winter autumn's kiss and the winds of winter is gonna be worse 
I feel like we're going to get a lot of these winter as Euron comparisons moving forward. Yeah, see, that, then that's interesting. You thought about Euron, I thought about the others. Perfect. One yeah. and the same. Be, be, yeah, because of yep. the cold. And yeah, there's definitely parallels between both of them. Um, I do agree, though, that it's, you know, in, in defeating Euron, it's going to be a dual purpose. And I think a uh, dual effort. And I think when it comes to um, the others, if the Night King does ever show up or whoever, whatever title the leader of the others have, once they do actually show up for the Long Night, I think it's going to take, you know, the actual uh, Azor Ahai Reborn, whose name is Snow, it's going to take him fighting on the physical plane and Bran fighting on the mental plane. Hmm. Okay. But that could just be tinfoil. I could be totally wrong about that. Hell, probably right. Who knows at this point? Yeah, we, we shall definitely see. Yeah. But yeah, the Winds of Winter is going to be extremely harsh because seriously, they've, they basically were caught in a blizzard, like overnight, you know, where they were mm-hmm. camping and they woke up and all, uh, it, there was just snow everywhere. And they went from being able to cover 20, 25 miles in a day to just maybe two or three and that's how harsh that winter is already but the northerners are laughing saying no this is this is still just autumn's kiss and, you know winter fucks you hard we ain't there yet bro <laughs> yeah we're still on first base oh my god and naturally like <laughs> along with that we start getting the whisper of a sacrifice right like just a whisper of it everyone mm-hmm. just keeps saying Sacrifice, false gods, Godry Faring, Corliss Penny, Harding. Clayton Suggs, Clayton Suggs. Clayton sucks. Yeah, exactly. I hate him. <laughs> Justin Massey seems pretty cool, right? He's like, no, no, this sounds awful. But Stannis is saying nothing. Asha knows he heard, though. Stannis is sitting at a plate mm-hmm. of untouched onion soup, staring into the flames of a candle, ignoring the talk, probably thinking about Davos because he has onion soup. No, he ain't thinking about Davos. <laughs> He's again in in that middle child syndrome. You know, when when too much is hitting him too fast, he literally freezes up. So there's food in front of him. He could be eating, get getting some warmth, a little bit of warmth in his belly against this cold that he is not used to at all. But he's hearing all these things that people are saying, and it's just you know. Not not meant to be a pun, but it's literally adding more fuel to the fire. And he's just so in his feelings, all he can do is sit there and stare at the flame. Yeah, I kind of want onion soup, and I'm kind of mad Same. that uh, Stannis <laughs> has wasted the soup. Uh, I actually feel really strong Like, it is just that. sitting there, again, Southerners be wasteful. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's really sitting there it's going true. to waste. You are running out of supplies, and you're going to let this bowl of soup go to waste, mm-hmm. bruh? Did you forget what you had to go through defending Storm's End? Word? This is this is who yeah. you are the now? Onion night. Well, that's why I think that he's thinking yeah. of Davos here, because it is onion soup, and he's staring, and he's probably thinking, what would Davos say? There's a moment that it does remind me from one of the Davos chapters, right? A little... Around, around the time that they're all debating, what do we do about this boy, Edric Storm? Mm. And that idea of sacrifice and... Um, so the line is from A Storm of Swords, Davos 5, and 
Danis tells Davos what he sees in the fire. He says, yeah, he does see things sometimes in the flames. He said, I saw a king, a crown of fire on his brows, burning, burning Davos. His own crown consumed his flesh and turned him into ash. Do you think I need Melisandre to tell me what that means? <laughs> so I, I wonder if he's seeing himself, right? Uh, burning... Or if he's seeing something else burning. Other- by fire? Yeah. Something else. Like, what? I mean, as you said, you don't need to tell me what that means. He knows what's going on. And it, does he feel like, well, shit, it's catching up with me now. Here we are. In the blizzard. Hmm. I mean, technically, he's not the only, you know, person in the story that would have a king-like uh, title. You know, John has that, but I'm pretty sure we, we can say it's not John. But there is also Fagon. It's possible that R'hllor is granting him a boon. Yeah. And saying that he might beat this pretender. But he, has, he doesn't quite know how to interpret that. Yeah. I had a t- and also, that's tinfoil. That's not fair. I, I had a tinfoil while I was reading this chapter. All right. I had a tinfoil that he... What if one of the things that he sees in the flames is Shireen burning? Right, and he's trying to do what he can. He's so desperate to try and prevent that future, but the road that he's on keeps leading him towards that. I don't know. It was a crazy tinfoil. It would be interesting. It would add a whole layer of caring to Stannis for me. Like, I would care about said Mm -hmm. Stannis. Because, I mean, even here in this line in Davos 5 and Storm, his own crown consumed his flesh and turned him into ash. Uh, that line right there is indicative of Stannis' entire plot, right, moving forward. Like, you, True. me, all three of us, we all know what that means. Stannis knows what it means. He knows what it means. And even this early as A Dance with Dragons, he knows what that means. And I I personally believe he will not be living past the winds of winter. That might be a personal opinion, but I mm. think it's right, like most of my opinions are, naturally. But this line is, again, indicative of that, right? Like, that's... There aren't many ways you can interpret your crown consuming your flesh and turning you into ash. Yeah, I think it is uh, totally fitting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just especially to where we are right now in the story. It, it, winter is here, and the it, it's maddening, and it's deadly. Yes. And... Stannis is sitting here looking like the Lord of Death himself. Yeah, he is. More and more, he's getting more gaunt in your story. He's starting to, every time Asha looks at him, there's this very skeletal imagery that she sees in his face. And he's having dreams or, you know, visions about seeing a king with a crown burning him to ash. Not looking great. Yeah. Though it's interesting because when I also think about it as, as I think... To an extent of what you were saying earlier, Alicia, that's a lot of that's a lot of the rulers in this story. They're all kind of doing something that leads them a little bit to their own demise, not just Stannis. And you were also saying, mm-hmm. you know, this cold is maddening, and that's a line that Asha thinks as she sees the weather going on here. She's like, "This is a cold that drives men mad." Mm-hmm. And I'm a I'm gonna give a shine to uh, Lady Eowyn there. In Asha's thoughts, you know, yeah, this is a cold that's driving men crazy, but she is no man. <laughs> mm. And I think it speaks uh, very clearly because she still has her wits about her. She's still watching, still listening, still try- trying to see what she could use to get it in. I love that. 
Yeah, more than that, I think she's uh, she's still able to perceive things and know what she can do, right? Like, she's still seeing what opportunities mm-hmm. can arise for her and still trying, as we saw her try to get her chains off. And I think it's fair to say that Stannis, through her eyes, is probably the most honest view we've seen of him. Uh, even through John's Agreed. eyes, Stannis is a little tainted. He kind of thinks fondly of him just because he hasn't had a new dad in a book, right? It's been like at least one book since he's had a new dad. So I think that the adoption papers got signed without him being able to have feelings. Uh, And after finding Stannis both determined and courageous, she also finds him unyielding and a bit creepy. And the cold driving men mad, that definitely makes me think of Stannis' eventual downfall. And... Uh, you know, Stannis in, in all that, right now he's still refusing to burn people as sacrifices, maybe because he knows that that way lies madness, but it's hard, right? It's hard to make that choice because even at night, they're finding that it's hard to stay warm in the damp and heavy tents. The fires are burning lower and fewer, and food uh, is often cold or raw. Even the night fires are beginning to shrink, though they prayed as loudly as they could. We have a segment from one of the prayers. Show us your bright sun again. Still these winds, melt these snows, that we may reach your foes and smite them. The night is dark and cold and full of terrors, but yours is the power and glory and the light. Relore, fill us with your fire for now and forever. Through bounty our Christ, amen. Wait, sorry. I mean, it sounds like that. It sounds a lot like mm-hmm. that. I pulled that that line from the end of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's the, almost the exact same sort of construction of, for thine is the kingdom and, and the, the power and the glory forever. forever. Yeah. Yep, it is. I just thought that was... But but you gotta you gotta look at it really at, at Valor right now and think, it, it, is it though? <laughs> is it? You know, because it, it seems like unless you give your god that you think is so true and just a sacrifice unless you commit murder he might not be helping you are you sure this is who you really want to be following you know we say that the seven is probably the closest to christianity or catholicism uh, just in its traditions and just how long it's been around, but kind of makes you wonder at the end of the day what George is really saying about R'hllor, especially with considering, you know, magic being a sword with no hilt. Hmm. A whole lot of people believe it in something that works once in a while. Kind of like everything else in the world, but, you know, I digress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's very true. I yeah. mean, you can even put that up against... um the drown god religion you know they believe yeah. that religion mm. has power because you know they they go and they drown themselves and then a priest brings them back they think that's something mystical and magical they don't know that they're just performing cpr and if you get the water out of somebody's lungs quick enough they can survive so CPR is pretty it's, magical. It's, it's it's uh interesting and and they attribute that to like only the priests are trained on how to do that which, if you're in a culture like the Ironborn, I'm sorry, that's just dumb. Everyone <laughs> should know how to perform CPR. You, you literally, true, you damn right. near live on the ocean, y'all. What are you doing? Yeah. I think some of them are like Victorian. They're just like, we're going to commit, we're going to wear armor, 
even though we're fighting on ships and and, and our main weapon is a bow and arrow. I'm gonna sink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Freaking ironborn. <laughs> Uh, Corliss Penny later wonders out loud if an army had ever frozen to death, <laughs> and the wolves laugh at him. Big Bucket says, this is no winter. And uh, they have a saying that in the hills they say autumn kisses you, but winter fucks you hard, and that this was only autumn's kiss. And Asha's over here praying, she's like, I hope that I never know true winter. <laughs> and won't well, mostly, she's the king's prize, and... So far has been spared the worst of the hunger and cold. She's riding in the wind with furs and a roof. And um, sometimes I, throughout this chapter, I was like, I guess the Dothraki would think that this was not noble, but it kind of sounds like the life compared to everyone else right now. Yeah. yeah, the people that have it the worst are obviously the horses and the stable boys, right? Like the common men. In fact, we hear about a stabbing that happened the night before when two squires and a a man at arms argue about who get to sit near the fire and uh the next night someone lights a tent on fire in the scuffle right yeah like yeah let, let's just go ahead and waste more resources that we have because uh... we can't stop being petty and learn how to share a freaking space like it's it, like, yeah. like i said it, it it makes me giggle Every time I think about it, I would love to have seen those Southern Lords' faces when they were told, nah, bruh, this ain't winter. What you talking about, man? This is just Autumn's kiss. <laughs> Wait till winter really gets here. Then you'll oh be god, shitting. Just like, oh my and, god, this and is terrible. You'll be shitting frozen blocks in all of your silky Southern pants. As North uh, Eastern women here... We all know what this means, right? Like, we all have had those friends that have visited us in the north or in the east mm -hmm. when it's a little colder in the fall or winter, and they're from a warmer place. And they're like, what do you mean? We all know that feeling. And we all know that that look we give them, like, you sweet summer children. But I feel like this is something really notable because the stable boys, the horses, and the common men having it the worst. Ashel here knows she is privileged. In fact, she's calling out that she's privileged. But it shows who gets the shitty deal. Like, it's very obvious who's working on the floor being turned against the other poor people, right? So the horses and the stable boys and the men-at-arms all got in a fight last night over who got to be near a fire and be warm. They get distracted and put against each other, but how does Stannis sleep? The small folk suffer while the high lords play their Game of Thrones indeed. Do you think the stable boys are anything but lowborn randoms? Like, they're total randos. They didn't sign up for what they're getting into. They have furry red yeah. shirts. Yep. And that, and oh, that is it. They do. They actually do. That, that is they it. They literally yeah. do have red shirts, probably. And, yep. Stan and Stan uh, Stannis, he, he hears all this, but because it deviates from his actual goal, he's not going to pay attention to it. When, mm -hmm. hello, sir, you have to pay attention to the, the people that you want to uh, call you king. You should have been out there helping to settle this dispute. Then maybe that tent that y'all need with supplies in it that y'all need would not have gone up in flames. Yeah. Things are desperate. Your men are not used to this type of winter. So what are you doing to try to help ease them? This is another example of where Stannis is failing as a ruler. You He's can't handle leaving. a little band of people right now. You're not leaving them very well. 
and you're wondering why they put in more faith in Melisandre, who isn't even there, but you are. It's such an interesting contrast to another march that we saw in the snow that was pretty awful. That that march fucking sucked for everyone, too. Much more terrifying up in the north uh, that Sam survives and the leadership of J.R. Mormont, who has, puts together his circle, his mm-hmm. ring of fire, right? And that's his idea in a way to keep his men safe. Stannis is struggling with that. He's just like, well, everyone... We're going to go take Winterfell or die trying. And I'm like, great, inspirational, amazing. And the the privilege, right, that he has, and also that Asha has, even though Asha's a prisoner, that privilege kind of manifests in a couple of different ways. Not only is she privileged in not having to take care of like the, the grunt work, the jobs of the people who are getting shunted the most in Stannis' camp, but she also gets those provisions, right, to stay alive as a prisoner. She's getting uh, a little better food because... Yeah. I mean, despite being a hostage, the king's prize, she is the prize, right? She's kept alive and considered valuable enough that she would even be a hostage as opposed to the men in her crew that she was trying to barter her own life for. Uh, They're the ones who died because they weren't considered important enough, just like all these, as you said, red shirts that are out here. And it's kind of, it's this funny tension that's going on in this chapter because... She is the king's prize, doesn't feel very prized right now because we're in the middle of an autumn's kiss, allegedly, and trudging through the snow, and I mean, what they're getting, it's a little, it's better than absolute scraps. You know what that just made me think of, though? And I don't think I noticed it before, until, like, right now that we're talking about it. This is very Robert of of Stannis Mm. to be handling it like this. Hmm. You know, he sees that there is some work to be done. There's areas of opportunity that he needs to look at and try to fix in the best way that he can with the little resources that he can. But he at least needs to get out there and show his men that, you know, he can do this. There, This is still a just cause. Now we're going to run off and fight or die trying. And he's ignoring all of that. It's very similar Mm. to Robert, who I cannot imagine that he didn't see that there were issues, but he still wanted to be in his cups. He wanted to be the little playboy that he was, you know, back in the day when when he was strong and he could lift his war hammer with one hand and all that good stuff. He's still trying to live in his glory days. And Stannis is, is showing very much the same traits here he doesn't want to see what's actually happening he only wants to see the vision that he has and he can't break himself from that bubble stannis is still trying to get there yeah he can't break from that bubble to actually see what's what to really act accordingly right now yeah that's an interesting contrast between them as as you said they're letting people squabble it out between themselves but and try and sort out those issues without getting involved, but all the while, you know, in in the real life, right? Not not really real life, in the book real life. Horses are dying from exhaustion and their meat's getting butchered after. This is this is what people have for food now, because the provisions are low and many of the southern men are urging Stannis to like, why don't we just make camp until the storm passes? Which also I'm gonna be real, that does sound like a bad idea yeah. too. And, and then the Queen's men are pushing yeah, right. Like, let's camp in the middle of the snow. Great. Amazing. I love this camping trip. Yeah, where there's no resources. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. 
Uh, no one has good ideas here because the Queen's men are also pushing a sacrifice. Also seems like a bad idea. Like, we gotta keep some people alive, right? If we're gonna fucking take Winterfell and not die trying. Asha's informant, Justin Massey, says, Good thing for you, though. Stannis isn't gonna sacrifice you, even though Sir Clayton sucks and Sir Godfrey farting. <laughs> keep trying to press him to do it. They're like, give the unbeliever to the fire. Shun the unbeliever, Charlie. <laughs> and half Stannis, though, responds with, half my army is made up of unbelievers. I will have no burnings. Pray harder. But Eliana, doesn't that mean that Stannis won't burn his daughter? I mean, he's given up. He eventually starts no. giving up. I just wanted to come in with a straw man's <laughs> argument real yeah, quick, I know. you know. It's a slippery slope that is slippery because of all of this ice around everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's real, though. It's, and by real, I mean real in no, the books. Yeah, I mean, and that is the one, it, maybe one of just a small few gold stars that I'll give to Stannis in this moment. He knows that if he burns anyone that doesn't believe, yeah. and nine times out of ten, if he's gonna burn anyone that doesn't believe, it's gonna be one of the Northmen or Asha. Neither one of those actions will go over well with the Northmen, and they will leave. They don't need him to survive right yeah. now. They can very happily fuck off right back to their homes and say, fuck you, Stannis. And they'll make it back home safely. Stannis and his men won't. He needs them and he yeah. knows he needs them. It's like maybe they can make me some fucking little bear paws. Why haven't they made Stannis bear paws? That's what I was thinking too. And Why have the southern men not tried to incorporate God. these tools that they see the northerners using? Stop being whiny and complaining about shit. You're at war. War is fucking hard, okay? You're in the north with winter coming and you are obviously not prepared. Look at what the Northmen are doing. Copy their technique. You'll be, at the very least, you'll be able to move faster and you won't have to worry about this shit. Ah, uh, but the pride goeth before the fall, you guys. The uh, pride goeth before the fall. Them southern lords, man. That's the man. whole problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this isn't even what, like, they were dealing with again, like, in that Sam chapter. Like, they've got it good right now, right? The Northmen pointed out, they're like, this is nothing. And also, they don't have ice zombies or ice demons yeah. coming for them yet. This is fine. Everything's fine. Like, this okay? is a doable and situation. Think, it's survivable, but right. they too stuck up their ass. And I think that's what's so concerning, right? This is not even as bad as it can get. For for many of the people, they're like, this is, this is just normal. So... If they're already at their wit's end, and this is not even as bad as it gets, this is far from it, the, and they're already like, let's just start burning people at this point. Like, how much worse is it going to get? They're just trying to sacrifice people only for comfort right now, not even for survival, mm -hmm. and because of their own unpreparedness and unwillingness to adapt. And I think Stannis is concerned, part of like why he's probably not eating, because he's probably too fucking nervous, because he realizes, shit, yeah. this is the limit for everyone. It only goes downhill from here, because the Southerners that I've brought here are completely unable to, to cope. Yeah, yeah, we start to even experience some of the cannibalism in the camps, right? And uh, yeah. that's not even the worst of it. Asha that night, she had never been highly religious as we know, but she prays to he who dwells beneath the waves. Their marching right. then slows to a stagger and then a crawl. They reach five miles per day, then three miles, then two, two. miles per day. Mm -hmm. Two. All the way down from 22. 
Uh, by day 10, they're having daily meetings that they're calling the cold count to account for people and uh, goes from one dead, three missing, six horses lost, to two dead, a knight, four horses down, one back up, and we get a big passage of time. The baggage train losses are the most gruesome, though. Dead horses, wains broken and overturned, and men who wander off or sit down to die, which Stannis says, let them, we press on. I will say he has that luxury. Right. Yeah, wander off my ass. They straight up deserted. <laughs> because yeah. they saw you were on that nonsense and, and they didn't have that to do anymore. The ones who just stopped to die, though, they have that luxury right now. But they're not going to have that luxury when true winter with the others yeah, comes. Sure won't. South of the wall. People are going to be like, no, no one can die. That'll be bad. They'll be seeing every one of those soldiers that stopped to die come back at them sword in hand. Yes. And you will not be able to stop them. These these are not the typical, you know, walking dead or night of the living dead zombies that we have going on here. Now, it, it takes more than just smashing their skull. There's very yeah. specific ways that you have to fight these creatures. And y'all are not prepared. Y'all aren't even prepared to go up against other humans right now. <laughs> you're losing, no, they're not. You're losing not even this ground. war before it even really starts. And... That's true. The Northmen, in contrast to the Southerners, only lose one man and a mule. They face exactly. so much better. Exactly. Like <laughs> it's only one and a mule. Here again, why is Stannis not seeing this and saying, "Okay, you see what they're doing? Do that." He's because respect losing, my authority. Right, he's losing so <laughs> much, and the Northmen that are with him are sitting there giggling, having a grand old time every night, even though the fires are a little bit smaller. They're still surviving. They are on the quest that they want to be on to go and save the daughter of the Ned and get rid of the fuck shit Boltons because nobody fucks with the Boltons like that. They don't like them. And they're fine. This is like a, a day at the pool for them, honestly. They are they are <laughs> not worried about too much at all. But then there's Stannis and his, and his whiny ass lords. And no one, for whatever reason, in their ranks can figure out that maybe we should just, you know, do, when in Rome, do as you do. I mean, it, it's like, I, I don't know if you guys watched The Hundred, but there yes. are different clans on that show. Um, also, you know, hashtag Lexa deserve better. She will always be my Hita. Mm -hmm. um, you don't go after as Jada, who is in the far north in the wintertime. Because yeah. it's damn near mm -hmm. always wintertime in Jada territory. If you are foolish enough to do that, then you might as well just lay down and die before you even get there. Because that, 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 that's dumb. And that's what's happening with these Southern Lords now. They did not account for the change in weather. Even though it's well documented that in the North, it snows even in the years of summer. Yeah. It's yeah. not like you didn't have this information. Why did you not plan better? Yeah, they didn't plan at all. Uh, they weren't prepared. They thought they were going to just like plow through it. And at first I was like, I mean, I guess they were too deep. They couldn't have adapted. But now that I think about it, I'm like, they had wagons. They could have pulled these wagons apart and made they themselves had some bear paws if they yes, were like willing. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They could have tried. When, when, that, when these horses die that are pulling the carts, you're eating the horse meat. Okay, so that's one resource you're learning to not <laughs> waste. But what are you doing with these wagons yeah. with all, all this wood and the supplies that's on them? Why not repurpose them to help you move better? 
Right. It just doesn't make sense to ignore that resource. Again, the North does not waste resources. Southerners, though, they don't care about that. They don't think of it in that way. And it shows because their original ETA, the 15th day, comes and goes. They're not even halfway there. They've left the road scattered with frozen corpses, broken wains. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Asha ends up winning her freedom on the 20th day of the march. It's the same day that she ends up getting her leg rub from Justin Massey, as we've discussed. (laughs) Very, very intimate leg rub. And uh, she's very happy because the cold numbs her ankle very quickly within 30 seconds. And by darkness, she is yearning for her wane and her shackles again but she has to walk on her broken ankle. And then we get this very solid piece of writing where George says that they consume the end of the vegetables, day 26, the last of the grain, day 32. And then all they have left is raw, half-frozen horse meat from the slain horses. Is that not an episode of The Walking Dead right there? Yeah, it is. It pretty much is. Like, like how, how much more... Do you really have to endure, Stannis, to see that you need to change your tactics? You, How you are gonna not punish a- people for cannibalism when you can't feed them. Right, right. Like, like Stannis, he's known for being able to lead men and being very capable of leading men during war times. Mm-hmm. Where the hell did all of that go when this situation comes up, my guy? You can't get out of your feelings so much. That you're just ignoring your random failures and you can't yes. get people back on Correct. track. I need <laughs> you to get out of your head, Stannis. I want to like you, okay? The realm wants to like you, but you're being a bit of a fuckboy right now. <laughs> I need you to not. <sighs> Everyone's having a really hard time. And then like what? Next chapter, you have like a bunch of people roll up and they're like, hello, we just came from the wall. Much further than the, your journey. Greetings, everyone. Exactly. Do you want to load? <laughs> um, right now, things are not looking good. It's really grim. The guides that Lady Glover had sent with them swear that Winterfell is three days away. And you know what? They're, They're probably, probably right. right. They're like, if everyone could get their shit together. And stop crying. <laughs> yeah. Corliss Penny's like, I think we could only do it if we leave the weakest behind. <laughs> Horp insists that the weakest are beyond saving and the strong must reach Winterfell or die. I don't know that we have to make that choice. I, you know, everyone could just fucking put on bear paws. Oh my god. And mm-hmm. I No, I do strongly believe this. Everyone put on bear paws and it'll be maybe three days away. It's really, I looked at the map. They're right. It's not that far. Um, then we have this line here. Finally, after a nightmarish day when the column advanced... A bare mile and lost a dozen horses and four men. Lord Peasbury turned against the Northmen. This march was madness. More dying every day. And for what? Some girl? Ned's girl, said Morgan Little. He was the second of three sons, so the other wolves called him Middle Little, though not often in his hearing. It was Morgan who had almost slain Asha in the fight by Deepwood Mott. He had come to her later on the march to beg her pardon for calling her a cunt in his battle lust, not for trying to split her head open with an axe. Ned's girl, echoed Big Bucket Ward. And we should have had her and the castle both if you prancing southern jackanapes didn't piss your satin breeches at a little snow. Yes. So true. Honestly. Honestly, he's right. That, 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 he's that's right. what we've Everyone... been saying from the beginning. If y'all assholes would just buck up. And stop being whiny. You could have been there. 
stopped fighting over tents and dumb shit. And I, I do think it's interesting. I'm going to come back to Middle Little's thing, his apology. Because <laughs> I was kind of super mad at the end of last chapter. I was like, I can't believe that guy was calling her a cunt while fighting her. She's been up all night fighting. This was really hard. All right? She's doing an amazing job. And she really was. Like, mm-hmm. she fought off so many people in that moment. And I, it was such a way to punctuate that previous chapter because Asha's been ruminating on how she lost the king's mood. Because she's a woman and she's struggling to be taken seriously as a leader because of that. And then her uncle was able to just marry her off using a seal because she's a woman, even though she's like way more qualified than Victorian and Euron. And so so this moment, I'm glad he apologized because I feel like it's a compliment mm-hmm. coming from Little. He's like, you know, it, it was bad to just reduce you to this vulgar term solely about, solely about your uh, reproductive parts and... That he's not apologizing. He recognized the skill. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's not apologizing for trying to split her head open because he's like, you are a worthy opponent. You know, I see it as a compliment. Game, game. Yeah. Yeah. Game of Thrones. <laughs> game recognized Game of Thrones. Indeed. Wow. <laughs> Peasbury is insulted, though, at the exchange that he has with the Northmen and then accuses, for some reason, he accuses Big Bucketwall of being one of Ramsay's men secretly. And then we get this wonderful speech between... Big Bucket Wall and Lord Peasbury. Lord Peapod, if you were a man, I would kill you for that. But my sword is made of too fine a steel to be smirched with Craven's blood. He took a drink of ale and wiped his mouth. Aye, men are dying. More will die before we see Winterfell. What of it? This is war. Men die in war. This is as it should be, as it has always been. Sir Corliss Penny gave the clan chief an incredulous look. Do you want to die, Wool? <laughs> I want to live forever in a land where summer lasts a thousand years. I want a castle in the clouds where I can look down over the world. I want to be six and twenty again. When I was six and twenty, I could fight all day and fuck all night. What men want doesn't matter. Winter is almost upon us, boy, and winter is death. I would sooner my men die fighting for the Ned's little girl than alone and hungry in the snow, weeping tears that freeze upon their cheeks. No one sings songs of men who die like that. As for me, I am old. This will be my last winter. Let me bathe in Bolton blood before I die. I want to feel it splatter across my face when my axe bites deep into a Bolton skull. I want to lick it off my lips and die with the taste of it on my tongue. Aye! shouted Morgan Little. Bloody battle! Then all the hillmen were shouting, banging their cups and drinking horns on the table, filling the king's tent with the clangor. Asha Greyjoy would have welcomed to fight herself! Aye! So good. Oh, that's so oh, good. So good. Do you guys oh my feel god, Alicia, right you did so, yeah, good. so good. I did. I At the so end, good. I was like, I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm going. Dude, like, yeah, that- I, I am no Valchrist, mind <sighs> you. I, 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 if you do not know who Valchrist is, I would highly yes. recommend go and looking at his channel. And this speech is one of my favorites that he's narrated. Also, the Broken Men speech and the North Remembers. Oh, mm-hmm. That man's voice is magic, the way he, he he does those speeches. Please go check him out. For sure. Well, add that to the links. And that was very fun. Thank you all for letting me do that. <laughs> of course. That was so good. 
I was like, damn, that's how you inspire people to fight. That's how you do a speech. Oh, yeah. We should all be following Big Bucket Wool. Stannis need to take some cues. Mm-hmm. For real. A lot of what he was saying in terms of what they're doing here and dying in the snow and for glory kind of reminds me a lot of what's happening with Lord Manderley, another Northman. Mm-hmm. A Northman uh, transplant from the South hundreds, thousands of years ago. Um, and it reminds me of an analysis that Reddit user Militant Penguin long, long ago, years ago, back when we thought, anyways, years ago, <laughs> uh, wrote, and how there's like this Northman culture of glory and going out in this way, glory and honor, right? Because they know that winter's coming and what that means for old men. And we see it come up a couple of times uh, in Arya's chapters and, and John's chapters. Like, for example, the. Um, Arya remembers that during the long winter, men who lived beyond their years would announce that they were going out hunting, mm-hmm. and their daughters would weep and their sons would turn their faces to the fire, but no one would stop them or ask what game they meant to hunt with the snow so deep and the cold wind howling. She wondered what the old Bravosi told their sons and daughters before they set off for the house of black and white, and so that idea of they're going out, they know that, as Big Bucket Walt says, right, he's like, this is my last winter, so I'm gonna just go out on my terms. And John thinks of something similar, right, where in in the winters, the old men would gather up what strength remains in them and announce that they are going hunting, and then their bodies will be found come spring. Some are never seen again. I don't think they're going to have that luxury with uh, the others coming, but it, it's kind of what's going on here, too, right? They're choosing their own terms on how to go out, and we actually discussed that a little with Cersei and Asha in the previous chapter, and the these old men are doing that too. Yeah, that's a really great way to look at it. And, you know, uh, some of these several chapters put back to each other. The Feast at Winterfell, a lot of these Clash of Kings chapters in Winterfell definitely have a lot of the same vibe. Even in this next bit, they end up finding an abandoned crofter's village, which makes you feel like you're right back in Bran's POV, right? Running and dodging Uh right after Winterfell's been already sacked. They find a watchtower, a long haul, some huts. They plan to stay for the night. They decide to fish in the lakes. Stannis, though, is looking like a dead man walking. He'd already been thin before, and now his skull's shape can be seen through his skin. He decides they can stop for fish, but... He says that they march at first light. Unfortunately, they don't wake to light. They wake to snow and silence. Again, another silence mention. Stannis looking like a skeleton. It's safe to say that if you look like a skeleton in this book, you probably aren't going to have a long life, right? Like if death omens are flashing around you, you're probably going to die. That is very true. Yeah, Asha... Awakes to Allison's snores, as well as the snow and silence. Asha is cramped in a pile of furs, and she notices that trumpets are no longer blowing to rouse them. There are no war horns either, and she's like, something's wrong. It is too quiet. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is too quiet. We get a lot of that scene setting there with uh, those sounds, but I also really want to call out the imagery here. Like I said, it contrasts well with the start of the chapter with all of those vibrant colors, the beautiful golden dawn light. Because now it's, yet when light came, the camp woke to snow and silence. The sky turned from black to white and seemed no brighter. The snow was still falling even more heavily than when she'd crawled inside the tent. The lakes had vanished and the woods as well. 
She could see the shapes of other tents and lean-tos and the fuzzy orange glow of the beacon fire burning atop the watchtower, but not the tower itself. The storm had swallowed the rest. You, you know what that just made me think of just now? Hmm. Hmm. That gave me some brand imagery. Ah. Is remember oh. when he is in the cave and he's exploring and he goes, you know, deeper and deeper in, all color seems to disappear. Oh. And everything is like in this matte black and white. Mm. The further he investigates. And this does and now feel here, like brand vibes, okay. Yeah. And and you know, in in my opinion, Blood Raven is probably f- five steps uh, already past death. You know, he's got bones showing in, in his uh, huh. outside of his body, but there's no blood on those bones. He's not dripping blood anywhere. He's all but spent. But you know, now there's this new green seer who's young and spry and still has all hmm. of his blood, and might get trapped in a tree because he doesn't know how to come out of visions in time. Hey, and Asha got trapped by trees, right? And here is Stannis looking like the Lord of Death himself. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's that's very interesting how uh, Bloodraven and Stannis look similar right now. Mm-hmm. And and as you said, the, the color disappearing. That's a great comparison because that's something that is in this book, right? Really helps hold everything together. I thought you were going to say, like, the storm swallowing the rest made me think, again, of Euron. Mm-hmm. Right? He doesn't just have to be like a rainy storm, but the snowstorm, especially with that connotation to the others, all go together. And mm-hmm. that storm has now also swallowed the whole village. <laughs> Stannis' host is sitting snowbound, unmoving, walled in by ice and snow. That's it. And here's King Skeleton Stannis saying, so you, you were saying sacrifice, were you? Tell me more <laughs> of that. Because I feel like that's what might become. <sighs> yeah, um... I had two thoughts about that. Like my first thought to this whole entire ending was, "Oh my God, snow day! Everyone go oh back God. to bed." <laughs> was that just me? You're the only one happy about this situation. <laughs> it's literally like the Midwest jumped out of me. I was like, "Oh, we have a snow day! Great!" Uh, but the, the real thought I had was, "This is the worst it's been so far, right? As far as weather, climate, etc." And it's only going to get worse. So like. With the rationale that it's going to get worse, you agree. You just said so. Does that mean that it's going to get worse for Stannis? Almost definitely. So with that Almost rationale, definitely. does Stannis's road trip seem not great? Is that just me? This is the worst road trip ever. Yeah. Worst planned expedition Where are the drugs? Ever. Uh, Euron has the drugs, honey. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, right, yeah, Euron has all that. And Tormund's not rocking with him, so they don't even have <laughs> any sour goat's milk to go there. Davos ain't there, so they don't got no fermented crab. They're, they're just fucked all around. Nobody has anything. You know, they, uh, they're even out of meat. They don't even have any meat anymore. Yeah. It's a wrap. They're probably picking snow up and dumping it into a pot and boiling and drinking the hot water. Yum. Maybe. I mean, they're like, okay, I guess we'll have a little bit of fish for a bit. But yeah, so everything going as it is. At first, there was a place that seemed a little bit like salvation. And they don't quite make it to Winterfell. It almost feels a little bit like the Israelites, Mm. right? Making their crazy journey 
all the way to the promised land. They're like, we're going to make it to Winterfell. And before they can make it in into the city, they're like, we're, we're going to do it. And then things go awry. And then they're like, but what if we waited out here? Well, not what if. God was like, you got to wait out here for 40 <laughs> years now. 40 years, you dumb um, idiots for worshipping that damn calf. Yeah, now they're here at the Crofter's Village, and it's like a 40-day journey. Their 15-day journey has become like a bazillion days. Yeah, so of so. course their supplies are going to run out. Of course no one accounted for the winter, or even thought to consult the Northmen on what they could possibly face and how to properly be prepared to navigate towards that. Now they're sitting here eating raw and frozen horse meat. I just... I feel like the Dothraki could have came over here and been way more prepared than them. Probably. Yeah, though you say that, and I uh, I imagine that this is, if this is how this goes for them, that means that we probably don't have a lot to look forward to there either, right? Because arguably winter's going to be worse, and they will have dealt with even less of that climate. And yeah. true enough, but they also have folks that have dealt with winter. True. That are advising the leader of that expedition, so I think they that they would that person is smart enough to plan accordingly. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Because otherwise, crossed. you're going to have a lot of horse to eat. I mean, well, that's that is cold for them, isn't it? Though, yeah, it is. <laughs> they already have horse to eat, so I don't. They'd be know. all right. Yeah, they they, right. they prefer horse. All right. Well, we are leaving this episode on a low note. <laughs> <laughs> for Asha and Stannis and crew. Man, that was a lot. Everyone is on the verge of death. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that's great. Everyone's on the verge of death. Not. Well, mostly them. Everyone else around them is like, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Tycho and Nestoris, we're gonna make it. We're gonna meet these people, right? Uh, we'll see. What, what, what's Tycho. happening to everyone here? We'll see, Tycho. We will see. <laughs> Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell everyone where they can find you online? Yes, indeed. Um, I am on uh, t- Twitter a-, a fair amount. I don't live on my phone, but you can find me there. It's AK underscore DS09. I will be doing some uh, Lovecraft stuff on my channel, um, so you can check me out there. Um, I know me and Monero are going to be talking about some stuff on her channel as well, so please uh, go sub to her. She's already got a whole bunch of awesome videos up. Um, I don't have a whole lot more booked that I can think of in the future. Hopefully some stuff will come up, because I do love collaborating around the realm with uh, this lovely fandom that we have. So, you know, just stay tuned. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, I, I think we brought it up before, but I know that you and Monero had been covering The Expanse, which, of course, I know many other A Song of Ice yes. and Fire fans are quite into, especially as one of them is was one of uh, George's protégés, if I'm not mistaken. And so check out their discussion and coverage on The Expanse, as well as their A Song of Ice and Fire discussions. Indeed, yes, and that those are all on Monero Geek TV's channel. You can find them there. Yes. Wonderful. Well, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Girls God Canon. We will be back next week with The Sacrifice, and we will also be back with a guest. Our good friend Wendy will be joining us. Yes, we have another guest, and you might all remember Wendy as the Wendy Nerd 
on Tumblr or on Twitter. And Wendy, of course, has done a lot of really great analysis on Women in a Song of Ice and Fire and, of course, on the relationship between Ned Stark and his children. So, yeah, we look forward to having her on the podcast. Can't wait to bring it up with you guys. As always, make sure you're tuning into us on social media at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter, C-A-N-O-N. Or if you want to talk about the episode, shoot us an email over at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, and of course, don't forget to subscribe to us on the many platforms that we exist on, such as Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, where I am reading your comments. Thank you to all the people who have continued leaving comments ever since I said that I read them, because I do. And... <laughs> Uh, we, we're on other places too, like Acast, Spotify, I don't know, iHeartRadio, page, not Patreon, we are on Patreon, uh, we'll get to that in a second, but, um, Pandora, that's the new one, and I was like, I didn't know Pandora did podcasts, so. Apparently. Those are just some of the places we might be. <laughs> yes, and as Eliana mentioned, you can join us over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where we do release special episodes for A Song of Ice and Fire. Every other month for the Stranger tier and above, this month's A Song of Ice and Fire episode will be on our Free Cities series. We will be talking about Lease and the Lysini Summer, as talked about in Fire and Blood. And if you are interested in our Patreon, all of the Thunder and Above tier patrons get access to Discord, where we chat, we talk about food and swath and God, everything. Horses. Sometimes I talk about my husband in Stardew Valley, which is really fun. So come hang out with us again, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And we want to thank all of our patrons for supporting us, especially. Yeah, you can come watch me stream myself, try to fight the same boss over and over again and die over and over again in Dark Souls. <laughs> Me, yes, we are going to free Winterfell or die in the attempt over and over and over again. As always, I've been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> Carry on where you This is the wrong chapter, outro Chloe. Ever. <laughs> Ugh. Okay, I'm stopping now. <laughs>